0: Welcome again to our Frequently Asked Questions channel and uh, this Frequently Asked Questions series is about emotions and feelings. We're up to session five now so we've been going for some time answering different questions and because we're only getting to do like 10 to 20 questions every session um, we will be going for some time more on <laughs> the question or series of emotions because we have uh, quite a few hundreds of questions Uh, relating to Emotions and Emotional Processing and other questions related to those particular things. So we would like to recommend before you watch the answers to these particular questions that you still have a look at if you have not done so. The Human Soul Frequently Asked Questions up to Session 3 and also Session 2 of this this Emotions and Feelings playlist because Session 2 answers many very basic questions about emotions. But uh, Mary's joined me today. She's going to be asking the questions from our listeners and uh, and hopefully I'll be able to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so, pretty confident that it will. <laughs> so we'll, we enjoy your company and, uh, and I hope you enjoy getting these answers as well. Thanks very much for your time.
1: <laughs> our first question today is from Amanda
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she asks, is dealing with fear a major way or the way for developing trust in God and confirming the goodness of God's character, as opposed to our parents' character and behaviour around fear?
0: Mm. This is an interesting question because I feel there's so many things that we could talk about as a result of the question. Yep. Firstly, is fear the major way we can confirm God's character? I don't believe so, no,
2: in, in
0: terms of dealing with fear. Mm-hmm. Um Dealing, dealing with fear does help us a lot to determine God's character though but there are many other ways we can also determine God's character and the major way we determine God's character is by receiving love from God and then we get a feeling about what God's character really is. Fear obviously is the preventing op- operation of the soul that prevents us from receiving God's love yeah. and so therefore we do need to address fear if we're ever going to receive God's love. Now, she brings up an interesting thing about parents' emotions, because if you think about all of the hurtful damage that parents have done to children, it's all based around fear. So, of course, when we process through or we release from our experience fear, then we can see very clearly a person who is afraid and their motivations and a person who is not afraid and their motivations. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, God is not afraid. So therefore God God doesn't have any fear and has never projected fear onto the planet. And none of our causal emotions are really related to God. They're related to human's viewpoint of God with regard to our relationship with God. And all of that is related to fear as well. And that is a lot about, again, our parents' fear. So it is very true that if we allow ourselves to experience fear and we allow ourselves to go through the emotional process of experiencing fear, then what will happen is that we will see clearly that God, logically and also from our feeling-based relationship with God, we'll be able to determine that God is not a fear person, not an entity that's based around fear, and uh, and that God is only love. And we will then come to trust that much more easily because we can feel that God is never motivated by fear in anything that God does. Mm -hmm. Whereas with our parents... Most of our mistrust with our parents began with the fact that they were motivated by fear under certain circumstances. So there were times when they loved us and then when they were motivated by fear, generally they did not love us. And in fact, it's impossible to love while you're motivated by fear. So every single time they were motivated by fear, they didn't love us. And what we got to see was that fear became the dominant aspect of their personality and nature in the sense that it, it was used as a tool Mm-hmm. to justify their unloving behaviour towards ourselves.
1: So their avoidance of fear in that case.
0: Their avoidance of fear, yeah. yeah. Well, they're, uh, you could say honouring fear as their God
2: mm-hmm.
0: caused them to choose fear over love yeah. and that caused a lot of hurtful damage to their children, of which we are some. Yeah. And now, Now, once we have that damage and we receive that damage, we start to mistrust our parents. And we learn to mistrust our parents because we know that every time our parents act in harmony with fear, they become untrustworthy, Mm -hmm. right? Just like anybody who acts in fear becomes untrustworthy. And in fact, it is impossible to trust, to fully trust a person who acts in harmony with fear. So any person who lives in fear and who acts in harmony with fear will always at some point act out of harmony with truth and love. And so they become very untrustworthy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, of course, God never does those things. And so once we've felt through the experiences of our own past fears that we haven't released, we start to see that God is trustworthy. We can always trust God because God never acts in harmony with fear or, or, or has fear as his God. <laughs> but rather, God always acts in harmony with love. And therefore, we know we can always trust that person. Mm-hmm and it 's interesting what I find on Earth with regard to trust. a lot of people trust people, other people who are totally untrustworthy because they honor fear. Any person who honors fear at any level is untrustworthy yeah you can 't trust them you can 't as soon as they honor truth and do not honor fear, now you can trust them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so trust is built by, per, by, the, by observing that the person is always acting in harmony with truth and love. True trust, that is. But I find it interesting on earth that a lot of people do not analyse trust in that regard. They believe they can trust their family members when their family members have actually proven themselves untrustworthy by proving that they are going to operate in fear at some point. Mm -hmm. So they have proven themselves untrustworthy. And it's pointless trusting a person who's already proved themselves to be untrustworthy. Yeah. (laughs) So if we were truly focused upon um, understanding the relationship between fear and trust, we would see that any person who is in harmony with fear and acting in harmony with fear is always going to be untrustworthy Mm -hmm. and we cannot trust them. And God is not a person who acts in harmony with fear ever and so therefore is always trustworthy. Yeah. But we will not feel that until we've worked through our own fear.
1: So, Amanda, Amanda's um, question is really hitting on something important. Then, mm-hmm. in in that she's highlighting that when we live in fear, we have an inherent mistrust of God, mm-hmm. because and
0: we trust people who actually are untrustworthy. We do both. Yes. Mm.
1: And why do, we, why do we do that um, second thing?
0: Well, mostly because we've been taught to do so. We've been taught that there are some things that our parents are allowed to get away with, even though they felt at the time to be very unloving towards ourselves. Yeah. We, we are taught that that's normal. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, if a parent's afraid for our life, then it's okay for them to hit us. Yeah. That's what we're taught. Yeah. Now, God doesn't hit us on any occasion, even when God observes our life. And God's not afraid of our life because God created an eternal existence. Yeah. So God's never afraid of us dying yeah. and therefore would never you know, use violence as a method of preventing our death. So you know, we see a very, very different viewpoint from God versus our parents. Mm-hmm. But we've been brought up with parents who justify the use of fear mm-hmm. and who then call it love. And so we now have a very distorted viewpoint within us of fear versus love fear versus truth and and because of these distortions and as we've talked about before these distortions are a major cause of our emotional difficulties yeah so because of these distortions the majority of people on earth are very confused when it comes to love Mm -hmm. and also they do believe that fear and love can exist side by side yeah and they cannot
2: Yeah. yeah
1: yeah So basically you're saying that we've been taught to believe that the way our parents behave is love and yet th- we have an inherent mistrust of that because they have often been acting in fear mm-hmm. uh, and when people act in fear they're not consistent and they often react in an unloving way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But as a child, we can't really comprehend the difference.
0: Well, I do believe as a child, we can comprehend the difference. Like when we connect with the childlike feelings inside of us about our parents' treatment of ourselves, most of the time we will be able to actually feel the fact that we couldn't trust our parents to actually not be violent. We couldn't trust our parents to not somehow manipulate us emotionally. We couldn't trust our parents to act in harmony with love under all circumstances, we do feel those feelings, but we suppress them.
1: We suppress them because we're invested in avoiding the pain of that experience.
0: Correct. you know, As we've discussed in the sessions about how the human soul functions, every time we want to avoid pain, we will revert to suppressive techniques, mm-hmm. which are all about our addiction. So we enter addictions with people in order to prevent our fear. And the majority of us have entered addictions even with our parents. Mm -hmm. And in fact, our addiction response to our parents is a direct response to their addictions with us. And we often have entered into addictions with our parents. And then of course, whenever those parents didn't meet those addictions, we then sought another person to do so. Mm -hmm. So many of us are currently in a relationship with another person, a partnership relationship, where we're actually getting most of our addictions met and, uh, and this makes us feel quite happy, but the reality is that we're not really happy. We've still got all of these emotions inside of us and fear is still quite dominant in our lives.
1: Still governing everything. And then so that constitutes a major block towards God because we, we don't, just as we have a sense that what happened in our childhood from our parents was not loving mm-hmm. and we're afraid to, to really... Um, explore that and release that, mm-hmm. then that gets projected upon God. We think, can mm-hmm. we really trust this person that we can't even see? Mm-hmm. And so...
0: But it makes a, it doesn't make much a logical sense if you think about it. For example, it makes a lot more logical sense to, to see that God must be far better than any human
2: mm-hmm.
0: and therefore far more loving than any human and therefore it's very illogical for us to attribute to God emotions that we feel about our parents but most of the time we do that to avoid the emotions that we feel about our parents in other words we go no our parents loved us it's God that didn't love us yes rather than going no that's actually (laughs) incorrect it's our parents who didn't love us and God has loved us all of this time and it's just that we now feel that that's not true because of our parents projections and other fear-based emotions that they've had causing us now to live in our own fear. Mm. So the, so yes the answer to Amanda's question is yes. If you feel your fear and experience it and go through it and come out the other side of your fear, you will have a very very good uh, opinion of God. Yeah. You'll also have a very accurate opinion of your family and your fa- and your parents, but it won't be a, necessarily a good opinion. Yeah. It'll be an accurate opinion in the sense that you'll know when you'll know under what circumstances they are willing to compromise love. Mm -hmm. So, for example, with my father, I know that he on earth, my father on earth, I know that he will compromise love whenever his religious beliefs are confronted. So in other words, whenever he gets confronted from his belief systems, he will always sacrifice love. I know that Mm -hmm. from his behaviour with me. And I've known that for a long time. I know that he does it with other emotions too. And I know with my mum, whenever she's confronted by fear, she will always withdraw love. She will always go back into her shell. She will always not be loving to another person, including myself. So I know whatever issues she's afraid of, she can't love me. Mm -hmm. I know that. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, when you know that, you know what bits of the person you can trust. And what bits of the person are not trustworthy? Because any time their fear is triggered, they become not trustworthy if they honour their fear over truth. And God doesn't have fear, so God always is truthful, and so therefore God is always trustworthy. And any person on earth who, who, the persons on earth who are the most trustworthy are those who have the least fear. Mm -hmm. (coughs) And obviously there's very few of those.
1: Very few. Because mm. even people who uh, present the facade of being quite fearless mm. are, are often full,
0: full of fear. fear. Full of fear. And yeah. particularly emotional fear. Yeah. So they might present a bravado particularly with physical things that they're not afraid of, mm-hmm. but emotionally they're often full of fear. Yeah. And when it comes to relationships, you see them act out, these fears. You see the toughness of men not wanting to open their hearts to their wives. Yes. So that shows you that they're very, very closed emotionally and therefore very afraid yep. of opening their hearts to the opposite sex mm-hmm. so so you know that fear under those circumstances will trigger their actions mm-hmm. put them in a certain circumstance and they'll act a certain way and they are, it's not possible for them to love you while that fear exists within them
2: yeah
0: yeah, yeah. with god it's always possible for god to love us because no fear exists mm. in god
1: mm. <laughs> and working through our fear specifically with our parents, is going to open our hearts up to receiving that
0: truth. Yes, and and probably be more accurate to say working through our fear about any subject (laughs) will open our hearts more to the truth about God's nature. Mm -hmm. When we are full of fear ourselves, we we become afraid of a punishing God and we become afraid of a God that doesn't exist actually. So in other words, we, we basically believe that God's a certain way when God isn't,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, and obviously that is going to cause a distortion and, uh, in our relationship with God and make, it, make a relationship with God very, very difficult.
2: Yeah. Mm. yeah. Great. Thank you.
1: Our next question is on the so- topic of shame. Mm-hmm. It says, professional opinions vary about what constitutes or defines shame. Renee Brown proposes that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. Mm. And this comes from her book, I Thought It Was Just Me, Chapter 1, page Mm 5. How would you define shame and what's God's view of shame?
0: Well, I, I have a lot of difficulty with the common psychologist view of shame, mm-hmm. because shame is not a causal emotion, it's an effect emotion. And because it's an effect, effect emotion, it's the result of us not feeling certain pain. So, so her definition is shame is the result, uh, what, what did she say, yeah. shame is the result it's of... It's an in-
1: intensely painful or feeling or experience, experience of
0: believing we are flawed. Yeah. Um, While I agree that we do often believe we are flawed Mm -hmm. and that we often feel shame as a result of believing that we're flawed, flawed, the shame shame itself and believing we are flawed is an effect emotion. It's not a cause. The causal emotion is usually something far worse. Mm -hmm. And that is that we've been attacked and berated and belittled and humiliated generally by our environment and a lot of times by our parents. Mm -hmm. And of course, we then grow up believing that that you know, we are flawed so as a result. It's,
1: it's sort of like something causally happened, something um, very bad and painful, where externally there was a projection upon us that we were bad in that moment yes. or over an extended period. Yes, that's the causal feeling, and then the shame and our is
0: fear of feeling that feeling creates, creates shame.
1: Which is like a global feeling, I am bad, yes. all the time.
0: Yes. Yeah. So fear is actually the major cause of shame, or mm-hmm. not wanting to feel your fear is a major cause of shame. Now, here we've got to differentiate between shame and what I would call proper guilt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, they are not the same thing. Proper guilt is the kind of guilt you experience when you know you've done something out of harmony with love and you feel bad about it. And proper guilt is a, is a precursor to repentance which is a process that we need to go through, during which we may feel ashamed of ourselves,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and properly so. Mm -hmm. And once we allow ourselves to feel the shame of having taken actions that are unloving, and we work through the actual reasons why we took such actions, we'll come out the other end no longer feeling ashamed and no longer feeling bad about our actions, although we do recognise the actions are wrong, and we would never repeat them, because we've gone through an emotional process which meant which was so painful that we do not want to repeat the emotional process. Mm -hmm. And so of course we never repeat the action. Now that kind of guilt which motivates repentance is actually a proper and the shame associated with that guilt is proper emotion that we need to experience and is causal emotion actually. Mm -hmm. But it's emotion caused by our unloving actions and coming to and those unloving actions coming to scar our conscience and and then pressure our conscience into operation, mm-hmm. which we then recognise we've done something out of harmony with love. And once we've recognised that, we then take actions. And one of those actions includes feeling some shame about our action,
2: yeah.
0: uh, about what we chose to do that was out of harmony with love.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's, that's what I would call proper guilt with subsequent emotions of shame involved, yeah. which is a direct result of our unloving choices as a person. And those choices have caused damage to our soul that we need to experience the pain of. And in fact, the majority of our pain in our soul is actually related to that. Yeah. It's not the minority, it's the majority of our pain is related to... It's
1: related to the,
0: the unloving, unloving
1: choices. choices we've made yes. as adults, Yes. out of harmony with love.
0: Yes. And, yeah. and not just as adults. We often made unloving choices as a child... Mm-hmm. Um, but those choices are not directly attributable to us 100% of the time because partly our environment contributed to that unloving choice generally. But but we are capable as children of making loving choices. You know, this is something we need to teach our children, that yes. every child, even by the age of three, four or five, is capable of making loving choices all the time. That's the reality. If they had no fear, they would make loving choices all the time, most probably. And and we can't just say that the fear is the cause of the unloving choice either because there are many people who have, you know, not, not fear is the primary motivator for an unloving choice, but the desire, or, but, but rather anger or some other emotion mm-hmm. and even sometimes just desire causes them to make an unloving choice that yeah. they later regret. Yeah. Now that's different to what I believe uh, Brené Brown is talking about here with regard to shame. Yeah. To me, what she's discussing in her book is the effect emotion Mm -hmm. of other behaviour which is causal, which is the terrible treatment that we've received at the hands of our environment, Mm -hmm. usually our parents. Mm -hmm. And this treatment included shaming us, belittling us, humiliating us, and other actions that are taken right the way to violent actions and other actions too that often are sexually abusive have been taken towards us in the justification of the parent no not wanting to feel their fear and not wanting to feel their pain.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, now I would say that then of all of that, shame is the subsequent result or the effect of the of these actions. However, feeling shame will not stop these, action, these actions from being cured. In other words, um, the causal emotion relating to shame has to be felt, mm-hmm. not the shame itself. Mm-hmm. So every person that goes through feeling shame every day will find that they will not release the causal emotion of their shame because shame is an effect emotion.
1: And in a sense, they're retelling themselves the the negative message rather than connecting to the pain of the negative message being given to them.
0: Yes, there's the pain of the negative message that we must feel. Mm-hmm. But we, to, to feel the pain of the negative message, we have to acknowledge the truth that we mm-hmm. were treated badly. Mm-hmm. And most people don't want to do that. Yeah. So what they do is they prefer to feel shame.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They f- prefer to treat themselves badly or feel that they are bad mm-hmm. to the core rather than feel that their parents treated them badly and, and, and that the responsibility for this poor treatment rests upon the parent and not upon the child. Mm-hmm. We want to tell ourselves that it's our fault rather than telling ourselves that it's our parents' fault yeah. that we got treated badly. Yeah. That's what we want to do. And so when we do that, we are drawn towards self-punishment and we're also drawn towards shame yeah. as an emotion to feel. Once you realize that your parents treated you badly and you start going through those emotions of how bad the treatment was, it's very rare for a person to feel shame after that point.
2: Yeah.
0: They, 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 in fact, get through their shame very rapidly as a result of seeing the truth. And the truth is, you didn't deserve this treatment. No matter what kind of a child you were, mm-hmm. you never deserved this treatment that your parents and your environment dished out to you that caused your underlying feelings of shame. So shame is an effect emotion. Therefore, it is not a causal emotion. Yeah. Therefore, feeling shame is not going to release a causal emotion. Mm-hmm. It is only going to release or, or make us live in the effect of what was done to us causally. So we can feel shame every day for 10 years, and at the end of the day, we'll probably still feel ashamed. Yeah. It's only when we start facing the cause of the shame, emotionally, that we will release the underlying feeling of the effect. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the feeling of the causal feeling is related to the abusive treatment by parents and the general treatment by parents, that people on earth don't classify as abusive. I do classify as abusive. The majority of parents have abused their child in some way. As a child, we learnt to feel some shame about it. We learnt to feel that it was our fault. In fact, most of the time the parents said to us it was our fault, actually Mm -hmm. verbally said to us Mm -hmm. that it was our fault. Quite often somebody, like I remember my father smacking me once and saying, this is your fault mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know i i don't want to do this but i must do it because god tells me i've got to do it yeah right you know that's telling me that it's my fault yeah that he's that he's belting me in other words that he's being violent towards me now every child pretty much of my generation anyone, anyway, i'm 50 in my 50s but pretty much any child in my generation has felt that and has probably been told that yeah that's the reality And so we've been told all of these distortion-based messages about love and and we've been told that it's our fault that violence was perpetrated towards us. Mm -hmm. Once we go through the truth of that and we realise the truth that it wasn't our fault, that it was our parents' unfelt emotions and their addictions to not feeling their own emotions that caused them to take actions like that, then we are now honouring the truth And once we start honouring the truth, we start feeling the actual pain of a parent who projects their rage at us. And that's the real causal pain underneath the feeling of shame, which is the effect of the pain. Yeah,
1: because the shame is an untruth, isn't it, that we're telling ourselves? Correct.
0: Uh, And if you feel it over and over again emotionally, what you're doing is you're telling yourself over and over again emotionally that you you should be ashamed of yourself all mm -hmm. the time. And the reality is that doesn't get you anywhere, Mm -hmm. as most people who have ever tried it know. (laughs) You will not get anywhere unless you face the truth about how this shame entered you, how the actual effect of shame came upon you, Mm -hmm. which is all about the causal emotions relating to the parent's treatment of you. That's how this shame entered you. Now, it might not be just the parents. Like if we went to school at the age of five and we went to a boarding school at the age of five, for example, then from the five to 12, probably a lot of shame come from external factors at the boarding school. It might not have come from your parents. So it would be more accurate to say this shame came from the treatment of your external environment, whoever was involved in your external environment, or it's the effect of your own bad choices. Mm-hmm. The key for you is determine which one is which.
2: Yes. Why,
0: uh, am I dealing here with something that I need to deal with, which is related to my own bad choices, or is have I just been told I'm making bad choices when I haven't made bad choices at all and it's just other people making, perpetrating bad choices towards me? Mm. Which one was it? Mm-hmm. And if it's the f- f- second one, the perpetration of bad choices by other people towards you, that has caused this shame, then shame is not the emotion you need to feel. Yeah. If you really want to be released from it, you need to feel what they did to you.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: need to feel about those things. If it's related to the feeling of guilt associated with unloving things you chose to do, then yes, you do need to feel some shame about that, yeah. which is a part of the penalties of the soul that that automatically the soul engages with the law of compensation, Mm -hmm. which is a law that operates upon the soul whenever we choose to do something out of harmony with love and it causes pain within the soul that must be felt. And part of that pain is shame. Yeah. And we need to feel that particular emotion. Now, that is a causal emotion, whereas the other ones I've been talking about, which is the primary
2: Experience. experience
0: of shame that most people on this planet have is not the actual emotion. It's not a causal emotion that we need to feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, the question revolved around from memory how
1: you would define shame.
0: How I'd define shame. Well, I think I've descri- de- described how God's view of shame. There are some things for which we should be ashamed, which are uh, to do with things that we've done that are out of harmony with love that we need to take action about. Yeah. Now, shame wouldn't mean we live in the shame of it.
2: This we would take action about, about
0: it. Yeah. Right. So there's one, That's one. And then the other is the effect of bad treatment perpetrated towards us, which is the primary cause of shame on this planet, and that is not a causal emotion. Mm. It is an effect emotion based around not wanting to come to terms with some of the reasons how it was caused, which are all revolving around how our environment treated us during our childhood years.
1: It it sounds to me in the first instance you're talking about where shame comes up through a process of repentance that sounds like the shame that we experience in that state is um, powerful and transient. When we're going, it's, it's an emotion that moves through us that enables the process of repentance.
0: It enables the process of repentance, but it also moves us into action to repair the damage we did. Yes. That's the motivation. Yep. It causes us to go, oh, I can't live with me having done that. I now need to try or attempt to fix this somehow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is the motivation that we have that is motivated by some of the shame. Now, now obviously, if we don't feel the shame, we'll be running around for the rest of our lives trying to fix something that we fixed years ago. <laughs> yeah, Does that yep, make sense? Yep.
1: So if we don't release if we, if don't, we don't experience it, it yep. we
0: gotcha. need to experience it to release it and, and, uh, and understand the underlying motivations of why we did what we did. Mm-hmm. So even that shame is not causal in this emotional yes. state. It's really related around the underlying thing that we chose to do something wrong purposefully,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And we want to find the reason why we did yeah. And shame isn't the reason why we did.
1: It's just the tug on us to look at why.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's the tug on us to look at why. It's the guilt that drives us to look at why we did something. Whereas the other shame yeah. right, is, is actually just the effect, the complete effect of somebody treating us badly.
1: Yeah. So I'd like to talk about the second thing in a mm-hmm. minute. Mm-hmm. But you said uh, something where you said shame and guilt are almost the same in this first process of repentance.
0: Yes, in the, in the guilt and shame yep. you know, are emotions we need to allow to pass through us. If we hold on to them, which yep. most people do, they will drive the rest of our lives. Yeah. Right. So, so they are effects as well of deeper causes. Right. But they are related to the process of repentance. Without guilt and shame, it's highly unlikely we'd have noticed that we did anything wrong. And under those circumstances, we're probably not going to be motivated to examine the reason why we did something wrong. Yeah. So, God has made it in such a way that the guilt and shame are compensatory effects upon our soul, painful mm-hmm. effects upon our soul. That when we take an action that's out of harmony with love, there's guilt and shame that's created inside of the soul that needs to be felt and released so that we eventually are motivated to find out why we chose to do such things. Sure.
1: <laughs> Could you differentiate between how you define guilt and how you define shame?
0: Yes, to me, shame is a very um, fairly self-absorbed emotion, I Uh suppose you could say, Uh in the sense that we feel really bad within ourselves that we chose to do such a thing and have a tendency to blame ourselves in our shame. Guilt is more, there are two parts to guilt. You're either guilty or you're not (laughs) is Uh one part to guilt. So guilt is, uh, there can be a valid emotion with regard to guilt
1: in that we did do something wrong and we feel bad about
0: it. Is uh, that what you mean? No, we are guilty.
1: Yes. and we, the, the, it, the
0: true terminology of guilt yep. or guilty is you did it. Yep. Did you do it or not? Yes, I did. You're guilty.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I see.
0: <laughs> There's no emotional connotation to it. No. Right?
1: It's a factual it's thing. It's
0: just a factual thing. Yep. So like when the judge pronounces judgment, he says, you're guilty. Yes, you did that. That's all he's really saying. He's not judging the fact how you did, that you did it and how you bad are you bad, are and yeah. you are bad and all those other things, even yeah. though most people take it that way. Yeah. The reality is he's just saying you did that and you're guilty. Yeah. Right? So when I talk about guilt, I'm talking about it in the pure sense of the word. Guilt is you did something wrong.
2: Uh-huh.
0: No arguments, no buts, no reasons why. You just did something wrong.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. That feeling of knowing that you did something wrong, you often feel ashamed about.
1: See, so it, within this process of repentance, you're saying that you feel guilt and shame and guilt in that sense is the acknowledgement that, yes, I did do something wrong. Yes. And shame is the feeling bad about the fact that you did do that thing wrong. Correct. Within that process. Correct. Okay, got you. And
0: if we choose to feel the effect of our guilt,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the shame, Yep. then we release the shame and we'll be motivated to find out why we did that thing wrong, mm-hmm. and what was the underlying causal emotions that motivated us to do that thing wrong. Yeah. So, so that kind of shame is still in effect,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but, but it's a helper yes. to help us to acknowledge guilt,
2: mm-hmm.
0: true guilt, from God's perspective. Yeah. We actually, yes or no, did we do something wrong or not? Now here I'm not talking about when you're a child and you st- you come home and you said to mummy oh I told the next door neighbor that you know you 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 know slept with the guy down the road you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know something innocent that a child might do and mummy goes berserk yeah. and, and and basically treats the child as if they did something wrong yeah. when the child did nothing wrong yeah. from god's perspective so, so this is a problem with many of our emotions is that we were told things were wrong
2: mm-hmm. when
0: they were not. Yeah. And what we've got to do is see all of these things from God's perspective. A person who tells the truth hasn't done anything wrong.
1: And this is where you're talking about the second instance where the shame that we can then live in, this feeling I am bad all of the time, is actually an effect and almost an avoidance of the pain of, hey, I didn't do the wrong thing, but I was blamed and made to feel like I'm bad because I did the right thing.
0: Well, uh, it's not only avoidance the of the pain, yep. it's an avoidance of the truth. Yeah. See, see, from God's perspective, we are not intrinsically bad,
2: mm-hmm.
0: for number one. So that's one truth that we're totally ignoring. Also, we're ignoring the truth of how we got to feel this way, which is somebody... And it had to be if somebody in our childhood environment mm-hmm. treated us as if we had something to be ashamed about. Yeah. That's how we got to feel this way. Yeah. And we need to come to the truth of that, acknowledge that. The majority of people don't. Mm-hmm. Right? They'd rather not do that. And so what they do is they just feel shame for the rest of their life. They feel like there's something wrong with them the yeah. rest of their life so that they can maintain a relationship with their parents. Yeah. Because the reality is the majority of us, if we felt what our parents actually did, would find a struggle to actually maintain a relationship with our parents unless our parents were repentant for what they did. That's reality. Yeah. But the majority of us ignore all of that so that we can play happy families. Yeah. And that causes us then to take all the burden of the treatment mm-hmm. and blame ourselves, mm-hmm. which is obviously going to be quite harmful to ourselves continuously.
1: And so then we end up with huge groups of people just living with an inherent sense that they are bad all of the time. Yes,
0: and then acting as if they're bad, so they're yeah. taking drugs or taking, drinking alcohol or, because they've Every taken day. all yep. the blame yep. for what their parents actually did. Yep. yep. And, and parents with children who have abuse issues, alcohol abuse, I mean substance abuse issues, need to have a good strong look at themselves because there's a high likelihood that they are, have contributed immensely to the fact that that child is now taking drugs or alcohol as,
2: through, a, result through their of emotional, as yeah.
0: a result of shame, as a result of their emotional feelings toward, perpetrated toward the ch- children when the child, children were young.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, so you're saying in that second instance where we're in shame that this becomes... Second instance,
0: let's no, be more specific.
1: okay. <laughs> Where we haven't done anything wrong, Mm -hmm. but we've been made to feel that we have. Have,
0: yeah, from our environment.
1: Yeah, from our environment as a child. Yes. That that can become a globalised feeling that I am bad all of the time. Mm
0: -hmm. And if we're honest with ourselves, many of our parents probably treated us like we were bad all the time. Yes. You
2: know,
0: like, you know, it's... Quite remarkable, in fact, how many parents do believe their child is intrinsically bad. Mm -hmm. I've had many, many discussions with parents who have told me that their child was bad from the moment they were born. And this is not true, obviously, but it's what they believe. So, you know, they've treated their child like they're bad from the moment they were born. So that child's going to have a lot of shame And and, and the child needs to then feel what's underneath the effect Mm-hmm. Which the the effect is shame of that treatment is shame, and the cause is the treatment. Yeah. The and pain. The of, pain of the treatment. It's the terrible. avoidance
1: of the pain of the treatment that maintains.
0: That maintains the, state the shame.
2: Of shame.
0: Yes, because once you realise that you've been treated badly, you no longer feel ashamed of yourself. You might feel quite angry with the person who treated you badly, yeah. but you'll no longer feel ashamed of yourself.
2: Yeah.
0: So you'll have made progress in terms of how you see yourself. Mm. Mm.
1: I think it's in Brené Brown's literature. She talks about shame being the feeling that you are bad all of the time, and guilt being the feeling that you've done something wrong in a certain instance.
0: Can I Whereas, can I point out though that even that has a flaw is a flawed definition because if you're feeling bad all the time, then mm-hmm. I suggest you're not feeling bad all the time. You're not feeling bad yep. all the time. Yep. You think you are bad, so you're living in the state of being bad. You're not feeling it. Yes. Like when, when you feel emotions, they generally pass through you, yeah. right? So, so like.
1: And and to be fair to Brené, yeah. I may have paraphrased her wrong because yeah. this says that it's a belief that we are flawed. It's the painful experience of. A it, feeling.
0: That is definitely true. Yes. It is the belief that we are flawed. Yeah. Now, that belief is the effect. So it's not a causal emotion. Mm-hmm. So it's pointless as feeling it all the time.
2: Yes. We need
0: to feel the causal emotion that created it. The causal emotion that created it was how we've been treated. And usually a person who feels shame all the time does not want to feel how that shame came about.
2: Yeah.
0: They don't want to feel the causal emotion. Yeah. 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 So that's what I see the main problem being.
1: Yeah. So I just wanted to contrast that with the first instance we talked about, which was about shame occurring through the process of repentance or drawing us towards repentance. That feeling as we are moving through repentance of shame that you describe, is that... And
0: by the way, it's not... Repentance for things that, from God's perspective, we don't need to repent for.
1: No, it's where we actually, from God's perspective, have taken an action out of harmony with love, out of harmony with love, our own free will. Because there's many parents
0: who want to tell us that it's their rules that we need to repent about, and that's that's not true. That's
1: where I see that shame limits so many people. It limits people in, in sexual expression, in self expression, in in Pursuing their desires that are in harmony with love. It does. A lot of people are limited by shame to do these things that can be quite pure and in harmony with love. And that's all about the parents' definitions yes. of what the rules should be. Yes. But in this in this other instance where we actually have taken a free will choice that's out of harmony with love from God's perspective, and mm. we've realized that and mm. we are feeling shame. Mm-hmm. Is that feeling a feeling, I am all bad, or is it a feeling that is, I was bad in relation to that event?
0: Well, the problem with this feeling of shame yeah. that's created from our own choices yeah. is that we can then start to think that we're all bad, even uh-huh. though we've only taken one thing, but we have to have had a predisposition to that kind of viewpoint. Uh-huh. So in other words, there has to be something that's come from our childhood that tells us that whenever we've done something bad, it means we're all bad. Rather them, than yeah. just did one thing bad. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. From God's perspective, you just did one thing bad. Yeah. Out of harmony with love. Yeah. And yes, you should feel about that, but you'd be far better off feeling the reason why you did it. Mm-hmm. If you stay in the shame of having done it, you will not feel the cause. And that's the problem. Yeah. Unless you feel the cause, you can do it again. right? Mm-hmm. And you'll be driven... Unless you feel the cause, you'll be driven by the fear of the shame that's now within you that you yeah. don't want to feel. Yeah. So, you know, now you're opening yourself to further actions out of harmony with love that are now driven by the suppression of shame.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's not a very good choice to make. Yeah. You'd be far better off saying, okay, I do feel ashamed. I feel ashamed about what I did. I need to find the reason why I did it. There's some underlying reason why I did it. That, that that then has resulted in me taking the actions I took. Mm-hmm. That then makes me feel bad about myself.
2: Mm.
0: So these are all effects of the underlying causal emotion. Yeah. So so pretty much all shame is the effect of underlying causal emotion. But some shame is, you could say, motivated by the the guilt. True guilt. True guilt in, true guilt yeah. in yeah. the in the meaning that I have said it before, and that is, you did did you do something wrong? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. You're guilty. <laughs> That's true guilt. And usually if we feel about that, we'll feel some shame. And what we need to do is go through feeling the shame of that mm-hmm. and, and come out of the other end to the point where we're willing to look at the underlying reason why we chose to take that action that was unloving. Yep. So the shame can help us get there yep. or it can hinder us, depending on whether we suppress it or feel it. Yes. If we feel it, we'll probably it'll help us get there because yep. we'll go, I don't want to feel this bad ever again, so I want to find the reason why I did it. Yeah. But if we don't feel it, then we won't find the reason why we did it. And we're now consigning ourselves to to the fact that we're going to do it again.
2: Yeah.
0: Or we're going to live in fear of our shame. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. And so we'll do other things that will be out of harmony with love because anything driven by fear is going to be out of harmony with love. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah but sounds like the most destructive way that, the majority of people live in shame is that they're living in shame, not feeling it, and they're feeling that they're wrong and bad in ways that are not really wrong and bad from God's perspective. Correct. And in that case, you're saying living in that state is actually the avoidance of the deeper pain that will liberate the person in many ways, including from the feeling of shame once they connect to it.
2: Yes.
0: Now, I've I've been asked for the definition of shame in this question. Yeah, (laughs) I would define shame as an effect emotion, not a causal emotion, relating to either one of the two following things: one, the treat bad or poor treatment from our, in our environment of ourselves, where we then come to accept the poor treatment as ourselves being the cause, and that is not true.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: or two the fact that we have chosen through our free will to take actions that are out of harmony with love and refuse to, to feel about the reasons why we did such a thing. Beautiful. And that's what shame is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Great. Good. Thank you. If we can add to that, what would you say is God's view of shame? That's the second part of our question.
0: Well it depends on what type of shame we're talking about so yeah. if we're talking about the first kind of shame which was triggered by uh, bad treatment during our childhood then god's view of that shame is that we don't need to feel it at all mm-hmm. and so and god in fact doesn't feel that we need to be ashamed of ourselves under those circumstances no, but no matter how bad we were treated badly we were treated during our childhood god doesn't feel we have anything to be ashamed of for, for that treatment
2: yeah.
0: so that's first the second type of shame, which is the one driven by the fact that we're guilty of, a, of some kind of wrongdoing with regard to definition of God. wrongdoing, is anything that we did out of harmony with love from God's perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, God doesn't feel we need to feel specifically shame about that, but God knows that shame will be the result of us taking those particular actions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, but God knows that shame is not a motivating um, solution to the problem. In other words... A person who lives in shame generally becomes quite selfish, quite fearful, and quite uh, out of harmony with love with the rest of their actions. Yeah. God knows that the best way, and God has designed his universe this way, that the best way to deal with any emotion is to find the underlying reason why you chose to do such a thing. So the best way to deal with any unloving action or unloving word or unloving thought is to find the underlying reason why such an unloving action, thought or word appeared. And shame is not going to help you do that. No. It's not going to help you do that. It may provide some motivation to do it, perhaps. Yeah. But it won't help you do it. To to really find underlying causal emotions relating to why you chose to take actions out of harmony with love takes a lot more courage Mm. than just feeling shame. Yeah. All right. And this is where I feel a lot of people in, who are constantly carrying shame with them are using shame as an avoidance technique mm-hmm. rather than actually a desire, uh, using it as a motivation to get to a deeper emotion. Yeah. And, and if we're using shame as an avoidance technique, we are way out of harmony with God's view of shame.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: And we need to understand that. Yeah. So, so God's view of shame basically is that if it's related to our childhood, it's something we don't even need to feel. Yeah. Right? And if it's related to our own free will choices that are out of harmony with love, then certainly we're going to feel it because it's an automatic compensatory effect on our soul that's occurred. However, if you feel it, you will want to find the actual cause of why you did that. Yeah. If you choose to deny your shame or to live in it, you know, soak in it like a like a bath.
2: <laughs> then is, you
0: will never take courageous actions to find the reason why you chose to do or take those actions that were unloving. Yeah. Yep. So shame can become a very narcissistic emotion if you're not careful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and many people do live in their shame and live very narcissistic lives as a result.
1: It's mm. yep. very helpful. Mm. Thank you. Our next question comes to us from Susan. Yep. She says, Some people are naturally not that emotional. (laughs) So, what exactly does it mean to work through your emotional injuries, feel the full extent of emotions, and release them?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. AJ talks about crying a lot or beating the hell out of a beanbag if the injury is anger or rage. But what if some people just aren't emotional like that? How do you release when you're not that emotional?
0: (laughs) Honestly, Susan, you don't understand the soul yet, <laughs> right? The reality is, is God designed the soul to be emotional. Yeah. So everyone is emotional. Yeah. If you are shut down to the extent that Susan is, yeah. then you will feel like you're not as emotional as other people. Mm-hmm. Like I can remember during my life that once I hit, I think it was like 10 or 12, I never cried from then until when I started first processing emotions when I was 33. Yeah. So. At the end of the day, you know you can shut down your emotions in complete denial if you want to mm-hmm. but but don 't claim that it 's just because you 're not emotional yeah. because you are God designed you to be emotional there's no this belief that some people are more emotional than others is not true mm. it 's not true. God designed your soul to be to have emotions flowing through it one hundred percent of the time all the time that 's how God designed your soul. all yeah. of us have various ways which that expresses itself in the sense that some of us have been shut down quite intensely as children and so therefore we don't have any emotion flowing through our soul like that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and we are we do have to somehow open up to them again other people are histrionic they are drama queens they use emotion as a manipulative technique to engage their addictions and we know many people like that that's not the kind of emotion i'm talking about either
1: because that's not really true emotion no, either, is it? not at all. It's an expression of rage or passive aggression or manipulation. Manipulation
0: or... and addiction, really. Yep. It's just an addiction. Addiction. It's an addiction yep. to avoid underlying fears and underlying real emotion. Mm-hmm. But, but there are lots of people who do that. In fact, the majority of my life, whenever I've seen a person emotional, generally... They are like that. And the average person in our seminars that flies off the handle all of a sudden and screams and yells and carries on in the middle of a seminar is like that. They have emotions going on which are all about addictions and avoidance of their real feelings. So I'm not talking about those emotions. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying, though, is that God designed your soul to have a 100% flow of all of your emotions if you're saying to me that some people are not emotional as other people, that is completely incorrect
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and completely untrue and only the result of injuries. Yeah. So Susan, I'm sorry, but dear, but you are in denial of your emotion. That's why your emotion is shut down. And any person who says, who makes these comments, who asks these kind of questions, and we have many hundreds of questions mm-hmm. <laughs> from people saying, I'm not as emotional as other people,
2: yeah. you
0: know, all of you are wrong. You are as emotional as other people. It's just that you've had more things happen to you that caused you to shut down your emotions. Yeah. And you need to come to terms with the fact that you, you must be pretty shut down if God designed you to be emotional. Mm. So my suggestion is, instead of telling yourself that you're not as emotional as other people, mm-hmm. you need to see that not being as emotional as other people, if, it's, if you're comparing yourself with people who are drama queens and, and, and you know, just, uh, what, what was the other word histrionic. I used, histrionic, then don't, because they are not feeling their emotions either. They're just using an emotional technique of manipulation to avoid their real emotions. So don't compare yourself to those people. But if you're comparing yourself to me, as this lady is doing, mm-hmm. right, she's saying that I have you know, cried and bashed things and whatever else to yeah. get to my emotions, and I'm not a histrionic person, no. <laughs> and for a large portion of my life, I was completely shut down to my emotions. From, Like I said, from the time I was 12 to the time I was 33, 20, 21 years, mm-hmm. I was completely shut down to my emotion, completely shut down. So if I can get from being completely shit, shut down to my emotions to being open to my emotions and everyone else's emotions and I'm telling you that the reason why I did that was because I became open emotionally from a state of denial, mm-hmm. then I suggest to you, Susan, that you can do the same. Yeah. Yep.
2: And
1: Susan's question, her final question was, how do you release when you're not that emotional? And the, the answer is really about working.
0: Well, well really what she's saying is how do, how do you release when you're in denial? That's the real question. Yeah. And the answer is you can't. No. You cannot release causal emotion while you're in denial that even those emotions exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And Susan is in denial that these emotions exist.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so while she's in denial that these emotions exist, she will not be able to connect to them, nor will she be able to release them. And, in fact, maintaining denial that these emotions exist are, is just one method she is using in order to stay away from the painful emotions. So she's using it as a method to stay away from her personal pain. Yeah. Telling herself that she is not like the average person and therefore not generally emotional mm-hmm. is a is a method that she has been taught to 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 demonstrate or that she's learned herself
2: mm-hmm.
0: to avoid the experience of her emotions. Yeah. And she's going to need to undo that if she's ever going to get to become at one with God.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of compassion for people who who Probably because I've been one of them who we reach adulthood and um, feel totally disconnected from our emotional mm, selves. Yeah, and, so. and what I feel from Susan's question is there's a lot of judgment within her from her experience of emotion. Definitely, she feels like she doesn't. Not only is she not that emotional, or she doesn't want to be. No, and
0: but see, we've got to be honest here. Yes, yeah. there's there's two things here, isn't there? There's do I desire to actually feel my emotions, mm-hmm. and Susan doesn't, mm-hmm. right? And then the second question is, am I using a technique to avoid emotions unwittingly? Yep. Right, and that's very different. That's, that's, a lack, that's what I would classify as ignorance of how important emotions are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Susan's not ignorant of how important they are because she's probably listened to me for a while <laughs> and therefore knows that I've stated it over and over again. So she is actively okay. attempting to deny her emotions. Mm-hmm. Now, I have less compassion for such a person. I see. Yeah. Than a person who unwittingly or, uh, or ignorantly does not know mm-hmm. that releasing their emotions will help them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A person who's choosing to avoid their emotions, choosing to remain in denial and choosing purposefully to tell themselves so, and even tells themselves that they're just not as emotional as other people. Yep. That's a purposeful choice to tell yourself a message that is not true. Hmm. And that is a technique you're using to avoid your emotions, sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, but you've got to be honest about that technique. You are not going to progress towards God while you have that technique in play. Mm-hmm. You need to look at the reason why you chose to tell yourself these messages. And yes, a lot of that is related to childhood emotion. And that's yeah. where I do have compassion. Yeah. Childhood emotion and particularly the suppression of childhood emotion by parents and the suggestions and violence that often comes from parents to suppress childhood emotion Mm -hmm. causes us to grow up and become a person who has little experience of emotion.
1: Yeah.
0: That's what it does.
1: And judgment of emotion.
0: And to have judgment of emotion. So we need to be careful here. Is it judgment of emotion that's Susan's problem Mm -hmm. or is it denial of a truth that's Susan's problem? Mm -hmm. All right. Now I suggest to, that that yes, the denial of the truth is motivated partially by judgment, yeah. but mostly by her own avoidance of pain. Uh-huh. Mostly by her deni- desire to deny the experience of pain, which which everyone has emotionally in them. Yeah, you see. Yeah. So I we've do. got to be careful that we, d- we that we say you know what is really going on for for individuals. Mm. Now judgment certainly is a problem of emotion and some people will have to go through feelings relating to how much their own emotion as a child was judged yeah. and certainly a person doesn't arrive in a state of denial without there being some judgment of emotion occurring in their childhood yeah. but the real question becomes is that judgment unwitting or, or ignorant, ignorance of the truth mm-hmm. or is it a purposeful desire to avoid the truth Now, in Susan's case, it is a purposeful desire to avoid the truth. She's been told the truth that emotions are God created them. God created you to be an emotional being. Your soul is emotional. She's been told these truths, but she doesn't want to accept them. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, that is a purposeful choice Mm -hmm. to not accept the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, if you purposefully choose to not accept this truth, as many do, you will never become at one with God, ever. You are consigning yourself to progress in love, but only in natural love. You will never be able to receive God's love to the point of at one minute, while you tell yourselves these untruths. Mm-hmm. So I feel that every person who tells themselves this kind of message is telling themselves an untruth. And while you tell yourself such an untruth, you will never become at one with God. So while you may progress a bit, because you'll have to use anything other than emotional <laughs> techniques to progress, You will not love, you will not come to know it, and you'll certainly not come to experience God's love because God's love is a very overpowering emotion Mm. which will overpower you every time you experience it. And so if you're not, you will definitely be emotional while you feel that. And if you're not, it means you're not feeling it. It means that you're in denial. You're shut down to your own emotions. So stop telling yourself messages that are not true. Stop making the choice to tell yourself. And the choice to tell yourself something after you've heard the truth, the choice to tell yourself the opposite, the lie, is a choice. Mm. And that's totally different Mm -hmm. than you not doing it because of ignorance. Mm -hmm. And this is what people need to realise. Once you've heard the truth about God and the way God created the soul and the human soul itself, The the decision you're going to have to make is do you have enough trust in that to believe it and take actions about it or not? Mm -hmm. Sue doesn't. Mm
2: -hmm. Susan doesn't. Mm -hmm.
0: Susan wants to not believe it.
2: Mm. She
0: wants to deny that it's a problem. She wants to deny that emotions are going to, you know, she even wants to deny that she's an emotional being. Mm -hmm. And so that is an active choice taken to completely distance herself from God's truth on the matter. And that is not taken out of judgment, no. although judgment may be involved. That's an expression of her will mm-hmm. to not feel painful emotions.
1: Yeah, that's an important distinction you're making there.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that uh, a lot of people, as you know, have left the path of divine truth yep. mostly because they don't want to feel emotion. They, Well, to be more frank, mostly because they don't want to feel pain. Right. And we tell them, oftentimes they come to us and ask us about where they are at emotionally. We tell them they feel pained by our response and from then on they don't want to hear the truth. That is an active choice that they've made to deny their own emotional experience and to deny the truth about how God has created their soul. While you do that, you are not going to progress towards God. Mm. You are just never going to progress. You can tell yourself that to your blue in the face. You will not progress towards God. You can, you can ma- blame me for suggesting that emotion is the way towards God, but it's not my fault that emotion <laughs> is the way towards God. <laughs> God designed it that way. <laughs> God designed, God, God knows, and God designed our soul in such a way that progression towards God in love is not possible without us being emotional beings.
2: That's, as that's we, reality. Yeah.
0: As much as people on earth want to tell you differently... That is the reality of God's truth. Now, if Susan had said, I don't believe you, that would have been more honest. <laughs> so I feel Susan, what you need to have asked me said, is just, AJ, I don't believe that emotions are the way to God. And I'll go, Susan, you're allowed to believe whatever you like. <laughs> However, the reality is emotions are the way to God, and you will find sometime in your future that unless you start engaging your emotions, you will never become at one with God. Hmm. So I'm okay with you believing it. But as long as you believe that emotions are not the way to God and that you are somehow, you know, different to other people and and unique and you don't have emotions, as long as you believe these particular things, you will never become at one with God. So so try it out for a while. Try it out for the next 20 years and see how you go. See whether you become at one with God in the next 20 years using your method. <laughs> mm. and, uh, and I suggest to you, you will not. Mm. Mm. Thanks. Else.
1: <laughs> this question relates to emotions of self-deception. Yep. And you and I gave a seminar on that topic four or five years ago.
0: Yeah, I think it was 2010 or something. Yeah. yeah.
1: So this person says, thank you so much for speaking about the emotions of self-deception.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm totally stuck with processing and these, and these kinds of emotions. Mm. I've been really losing faith that I can do this. I feel like I'm just going around in circles with shame and anger and getting nowhere, and to be honest, I really just want to give up. Mm. Can you talk a bit about what signs there may be that we're actually getting somewhere instead of going around in circles?
0: Well, I think she's identified the signs. (laughs) When you go around in circles, you feel like you want to give up. Uh, When you go around in circles, you you feel like you're processing emotions, but you know nothing's really changing. Mm-hmm. So these are all signs that you're just going around in circles and nothing's really changing. Now, And signs that you are completely in self-deception. Yeah. In other words, you are processing through emotions of self-deception.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's pointless doing that. Now, the, the real thing we need to look at, though, is why are we doing it?
2: Mm.
0: So why do, in this case, the lady saying she's fluctuating between emotions of shame, which is an effect emotion, and anger, which is also an effect emotion Mm -hmm. most of the time. So she's fluctuating between two effect emotions. Of course, if you fluctuate between two effect emotions, you will never address causal emotion. Mm -hmm. So of course, you're never going to progress. You're never going to become at one with God doing that. So you can do this for the rest of your life and nothing will change. And, of course, after a while you get tired of that and then you'll say, oh, it's all because of AJ's teachings about emotions (laughs) and obviously it's not what I'm talking about. When we are in motions of self-deception such as shame and anger and so forth, we are doing it to avoid other things and we need to have a good solid look at our will, how we're using our will. We're using our will to stay in emotions that are preferable self-deception emotions are preferable, Mm -hmm. rather than feeling the emotions that are not preferred, the more painful emotions that we don't wish to experience. That's why we choose to be self-deceived. So when you're fluctuating between shame, anger, shame, anger, shame, anger, feeling, different emotions that are around in this cycle, what you're doing is you're fluctuating between two self-deceptive emotions. They're not the causal emotions. So you're fluctuating between two self-deception emotions. One is you wanting to blame other people, and the other one is you want to blame yourself. Yeah. And both of those things are not true. Yeah. You can't blame other people and you can't blame yourself. <laughs> you need to get deeper into the actual causal pain. Most people who fluctuate in, in self-deception emotions are not willing to go to their real pain. That's the problem. They don't trust God. They have no faith that God will help them through the process. They don't trust that this is the actual process and they justify to themselves that there's no reason to do it and they'd prefer to feel like they're doing something. And so what they do is they create effect-based emotions Mm -hmm. such as shame and anger and so forth. And then they choose to feel all of that. Yeah. Now, you do all of that because you're avoiding your addictions. You don't want to feel your addictions. Mm -hmm. And every time you, you get your addictions met, you're happy. Mm-hmm. And every time your addictions are not met, you either go into self-shame. you know, shame, S-
2: Punishment. In other words,
0: self-punishment. Yeah. Or you go into anger, mm-hmm. where you want to punish someone else. Mm-hmm. Both things are really anger. Mm-hmm. One's anger with yourself, and the other one is anger with someone else. Yeah. And both of them are in avoidance of the addiction that you're actually in. So what you need to do to get out of this cycle is to be really honest about your addictions. What I observe is the majority of people who don't want to have, be honest about their addictions at all. Mm. In, pre, in, a, in a recent um, seminar at Kyber, it was called Understanding Your Emotional Self. I talked to a group of people who were involved in an interaction relating to different emotions they were experiencing. Yeah. Very few of them wanted to see what was really going on. One of them reverted to feeling like she was to blame when Mm -hmm. she wasn't. Mm -hmm. The other one reverted to feeling like someone else to blame when they weren't. And she was actually to blame for her unloving behaviour. And and many of them had no desire to work through why they didn't, you know, have direct, honest communication with the real problem. And and so we find this happening all the time. All of it's driven by emotions of Mm self-deception. They want to believe that it's this problem or that problem when it's not. Mm. Many people who are abusive towards other people want to believe that the other people have been abusive to them. (laughs) That's the reality. That's what justifies, that's how they justify their abusive behaviour. Like We have many people interact with us who who get angry with us or attempt to abuse us, and then when we draw the line in the sand, they tell us that we're the ones being unloving. <laughs> how is that? Yeah. Like, how do they even come to that conclusion? By deceiving themselves. That's how they would come to that conclusion. Yeah. So many people desire self-deception, and we've got to examine the reason why. And the main reason why is we don't want to let go of our addictions.
2: Mm.
0: We would prefer to have our addictions met. And when they don't get met, we either punish ourselves or punish someone else, but our addictions are still there yep. and we're still not acknowledging them.
1: And often we, we cry, we're we crying, not recognising that we're just crying because we're angry or we're not getting... And that's something we talked about in that talk yes. of emotions of self-deception. But Correct. But basically you're saying all of this emotional stuff that's going on in this state is occurring because we want to avoid the truth of our addictions.
0: Yes, and we want to avoid the truth of our fears and we want to avoid the feeling and experiencing the real pain. Mm-hmm. So we, we are very uh, clever at substituting pain. Mm-hmm. In other words, we decide that that pain over there is too hard for me to experience, but this pain is okay, I can handle that pain. Now, if you get into that state where you start substituting pain, which is a self deceptive state, you will find eventually even that pain becomes frustrating.
1: Yes. And
0: too painful to experience.
1: Yeah.
0: Even the self deception pain will eventually become frustrating to experience.
1: Well, even more frustrating, really, won't it? Because there's no relief.
0: There's no relief from it, ever. Ever, because it's just a self deception. It's just an emotion we're creating to avoid another emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's self deception. And while we feel those emotions, nothing will change. Not a single thing will change. We cannot become one with God while we're doing this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You see, we've got to be a lot more truthful with ourselves. And the majority of people aren't very truthful with themselves when they begin this process. And they've got to go through the process of going, wow, I just did all that to avoid a whole heap of things. Yeah. And I might as well stop doing it. I might, may as well instead look at what I'm avoiding by doing that's what I need to do, become really honest about what's really going on inside of myself. And you, you can get help to do that mm-hmm. if you want. You can go to a psychologist to get some help to do that. There are some good people, psychologists, who might be able to help you say, well, there you go again. You're off feeling something that, you know, it's not even true. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: There you go again. There you go again. Now you're drama-queening again. You know, like, <laughs> Now you're creating this of self-deception again. And eventually we might realise every time we do it, and then realise what the motivation is. Yeah. And that's the key thing. Yeah. We need to find the motivation for our Mm self-deception. And there's always a motivation.
1: And this is where you said earlier that it's an issue of will. Yes. So basically we need to find where our will is actually directed away from Causal emotion and why? What's motivating that will? Well, why? What do
0: I really want to do here? What yeah. am I trying to achieve here? Yeah. What I'm trying to achieve is avoidance of my addictions. Yeah. I'm trying to not be, cl- be clueless about my addictions. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've got to be honest about that if I'm ever going to get beyond my addictions. Mm-hmm. I've got to be honest about my addictions to get beyond them. I've got to be honest about my fear in order to feel it. I've got to be honest about the pain that's in me before I'll feel the pain that's in me. Most people are not, no. right? So so what we do instead is we create a whole group of other emotions which are all self-created often or learned techniques that we learned, you know, usually during our later childhood years of how to avoid the emotion. Mm-hmm. And then we engage those particular techniques and we think we're emotional processing. No, you're not. You're not processing through emotion. You're not actually working through it. You're not actually experiencing causal emotion. You're just creating new emotions to you, for you to feel so that you can avoid doing that and, and avoid telling yourself the truth, that you're really scared yeah. of getting to what is the real problem. Mm. You mm-hmm. know? And this is the problem with not acknowledging fear Yeah, is that we eventually... We eventually create motions of self-deception in order to not acknowledge what is really the problem because we're too afraid to acknowledge what is really the problem.
1: So then if we go back to the second part of this question, Mm -hmm. which was, could you talk a bit about what signs there may be when we're actually getting somewhere? So when we're actually starting to move through causal okay, emotion so let's or talk even about addictions. Let's talk about, you know, because there's well, a let's process, talk about, isn't there? We've
0: talked about the signs of what happens when you're not. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about some of the <laughs> signs of what happens when you are. When you are actually processing through causal emotion, every time you process an emotion, you feel relief.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Your, your body will physically change. You will notice less lines on your face. You will notice like any weight that you've put on temporarily comes off again. Yep. you notice that you feel more joy. You feel uh, more alive and more engaged. You also feel more sensitive to truth mm-hmm. as a result. Mm-hmm. So you notice things more than you did before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and also your behaviour is more loving automatically.
1: Yep. So you're not trying. You're not
0: trying to be yep. loving you just automatically feel like you want to be loving yeah. and you automatically are as a result. These are all signs that you actually are processing through causal emotion. Mm-hmm. If none of those things are actually occurring, then you're not processing through causal emotion, no matter how much you're crying, no matter how much you feel fear, no matter how much you're feeling shame. You're not processing through causal emotion. You're in the addiction yeah. and you need to be honest with yourself. If, so what basically we can say is if there is no positive change towards love, that's automatic, then you are not processing causal motion.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, there's only two reasons why that could be occurring. One is that you're processing through the layers of addiction, and, and it's only when you get to the causal motion that eventually there'll be some release. And we do need to process through the layers of addiction. We do need to come to see our addictions. That is certainly true. But while we're doing that, we probably will find that we're not, you know, outwardly much different than what we were before because it's our causal emotion that needs to change, change that changes everything so we might be doing that or more often than not we are in emotions of self-deception mm. if we're feeling emotion where we're, where we're going through all these different emotional experiences and none of them are real yep. and none of them are real because we don't want any of them to be real <laughs> we need to understand it's a use of our will
1: yeah Do you think there's signs that we have, even before we get to releasing causal emotion, if we are in the process of working through addiction Mm -hmm. and getting more in contact with fear, do you think that there's signs that we have?
0: Of course there's signs, but they're much more difficult to read from an external perspective. And
1: this is where we have to be really honest with ourselves, isn't it? Like, If we're really honest and we hear all this theory, we can start to identify Am I in self-deception? Am I working through addiction? Is yeah. this causal emotion? Yeah. yeah,
0: causal emotion is beautiful to feel. You, yeah. You'll enjoy feeling it yeah. probably. Yeah. It causes you to feel connected to your soul, even though, even if it's grief, even if it's terrible grief or fear, it feels you, you're connected with your soul. You, there's always a relief in your body afterwards. Mm-hmm. There's always a relief in your emotional state afterwards things around you your law of attraction changes instantly as soon as you've actually made a a release Mm -hmm. of a causal emotion your your attractions will change instantly and you'll be less influenced by spirits you'll be more positive and less negative um so you know (laughs) these are the changes that automatically occur and and if they are not occurring you you would need to examine yeah there's a high likelihood i'm in self-deception, or I'm processing through my addictions, one of the two. Mm -hmm. Now, there are signs you're processing through your addictions, Mm -hmm. and it's quite simple. Your addictions reduce (laughs) 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 when you process through your addictions and you become more afraid. In other words, if you're truly processing through your addictions, you don't revert to anger. Right. Mm -hmm. Anger is a sign that you're not processing through your addictions. If you're truly processing through your addictions, what happens is you become more afraid, because remember every addiction was created in order to cover over your fear. So as you expose every addiction, you feel more fear as a result. So Mm -hmm. if you're becoming more afraid, Mm
2: -hmm. right,
0: and you notice in your life there's less physical and emotional addictions, then that means you're processing through your addictions. But if you're not becoming more afraid, right, then you're not processing through your addictions Mm -hmm. because your addictions are the layer upon your fear. So becoming more afraid is actually a good sign if you're processing through your addictions. You're not yet at your causal emotion, perhaps, but there is, there's the sign that there's something happening that's causing you to shift from being in denial mm-hmm. into being aware of the, the underlying fear that drives most of your addictive behaviour. So that's how you know you're, you're working through addiction. Yeah, yeah. that's great. So, so, it may take quite a few years for the average person on the planet to work through addiction.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We have uh, usually established addictions at a very, very young age, and uh, and usually most of them being taught to us. And so, it does take time to work our way through those addictions and feel and allow ourselves to feel the fear that's underneath that drives those addictions. The fear of grief or the fear of other childhood emotions. Even the fear of just being a child causes you to do all sorts of things in addiction.
1: What about this situation that I see occurring where people hear about divine truth? um, They hear about addictions and a lot of people have been totally clueless that they've lived their entire life in addiction. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. thought that it's normal and that it's love when your addictions get met and mm-hmm. it's all very... And then they sort of go, oh, wow.
0: They start to acknowledge.
1: They start to acknowledge intellectually that mm-hmm. there's issues. Yeah. And they restrict their lifestyle and their habits in mm-hmm. certain ways in an effort to try to not be in so much addiction or challenge their addiction. Yeah. And then So they, they get... feel
0: some guilt about their addiction. Yes. <laughs> they, yeah. In other words, yes. I'm guilty, I did do that. (laughs) (laughs) And that is
1: not loving. (coughs) And that's not loving and I can
0: see that. So they then feel motivated to try to address some of these addictions.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then I notice people get to this point where they just feel terrible. They feel like there's no point, it's all painful, it's all yucky, it's all...
0: Yeah, still all self-deception because this is avoidance of their fear. Yeah. Like So they're coming up to the fear wall. You can mm-hmm. say the wall of fear is there like so. Mm-hmm. And they're coming up to the fear wall as they deal with each addiction and as they notice each addiction, they're coming closer and closer to their wall of fear. Yep. What I notice is most people become, even just start to see their wall of fear and then they run away. Yep. And most people run away from divine truth at that point, yep. actually. That's the point where almost everybody who's ever left divine truth, mm-hmm. ever left the way, has left because they've come face to face with their fear and yeah. they don't want to face their fear, so they go. Yeah, They just run away. And many of them run away for years and some centuries and some thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some have run away for a long time mm-hmm. because they don't want to actually confront and work their way through their fears. Yeah, right. So we need to be honest with ourselves even there. If we feel like we're getting to a place where we're just feeling like sad all the time, not apathetic. motivated, apathetic, don't want to go forward, don't want to go back. Yeah. It's because we're terrified. Yeah. And we need to start letting ourselves feel our terror, feel our fear about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what I find is the mo- most, most people, particularly women, but most people are very intolerant of the emotions of fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and they'll do almost anything to avoid them. And, and they'll blame anybody in order to avoid them. And they'll get angry with anybody in order to avoid them. And they'll say all sorts of lies and all sorts of things to avoid them. And they'll say and engage in all sorts of self-deception in order to avoid them. Yeah. And we've got to be honest with ourselves in that place. And we've got to say, actually, you know what? I'm really just terrified. <laughs> and, and, and once we even acknowledge that, we have a, a stronger ability to develop the desire to feel it because in the end, it's only the desire to feel it that will mo- motivate us to get through that. Yeah. And for me, it's my desire for my relationship with God and my relationship with you that motivates me through tho- those fears, yeah. motivates me to just sit in the fear and feel it rather than acting upon it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and what I've found is there's got to be something that's more important to you than the fear itself mm. in order for you to go through fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, and that's why I feel most people don't go through their fear because there's nothing more important to them than their fear.
2: Mm.
0: They, they honour their fear, they treat it like a god and as a result they don't have much of a desire to work through it. Mm. You, to, have a, to develop a desire to work through your fear is a very key part of this path.
2: Yeah.
0: The way to God, on the way to God... By the time you're at one with God, fear is non-existent in your life. That means you live like day in harmony with truth. That In this world that we live in now, that's a very difficult thing to do because the majority of people are going to be very, very challenged by you living in harmony with truth. And that's the reason why you don't want to do it. Mm. Most people are so afraid of living in harmony with truth and that's the reason why when they come to their fear wall, they run away and tell themselves a whole heap of lies doing so. Because, because it's preferable than telling themselves the truth to go through their fear and then finding out that all the things they were afraid of actually happened. Mm-hmm. Like they are now getting attacked by their family and their mm-hmm. friends and, mm-hmm. and you know they lost their job because of this particular reason and that particular reason. Their life's falling apart now. Like Potentially, that's what they feel. It's not yeah. true, but that's what they believe. Their life will fall apart now if they fully engage the truth and they fully engage living in harmony with all of their emotions all the time. They believe that they're going to, you know, create a huge mess. And so Mm -hmm. they hit that wall and run away.
1: Yeah, and you talked about this in a talk that you gave at an assistance group in Texas last year in 2013, Mm -hmm. something that has been very powerful for me working through, and that is um, dealing with the sense of hopelessness that many of us experienced as a child Because there was no way out. As a child. There was no way of getting those emotions out and feeling better or there was no way to avoid a continual situation where we didn't feel like.
0: Well, the sad thing for most children is this. They had some kind of negative emotion projected at them from their parents. Mm -hmm. They usually probably tried to cry about it initially. Mm -hmm. They were told they'd get more violence if they cried. Yeah. Generally, that's the case now we've got a problem now the parent has shut down not only the emotional experience from the first emotion but has also told them that they will get more violent reaction from the parent Mm -hmm. if they cry about the first one now that's an injustice upon an injustice yes that's the sad thing and most of us have experienced it now once we've experienced that we feel like what's the point like Mm -hmm. i can't even cry about how I've been treated, let alone feel about how I've been treated and how bad that was. I can't even cry about it anymore and I'm treated as if that's bad as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, many of us are going to get to the wall of fear and realise that actually it's it's a lot about feelings of hopelessness and despair.
2: That there's no point moving through emotion. There's no point moving through it.
1: Because it's all, it's this childhood experience of feeling very restricted. Yes, and that even when I cry, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen again, which is really...
0: And most of the time when we're a child, if we did cry, it, it did happen worse, again. worse, yes. Or it even was worse. Yes. So this is our problem as a child is we go, oh, it's worse if I cried, so I've got to turn off crying. And then we finish up growing up saying, oh, I'm not, I'm emotional. not that emotional. I'm yeah. not that emotional. And then we wonder why. Yeah. Because, of course, you've been shut down terribly. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So you need to allow yourself to feel about that
1: and to feel for myself feeling that sense of hopelessness has not only helped assisted me with desire and you were talking about having a purpose having a something that will cause us to want to move through fear mm. and for myself experiencing some of that emotion has enabled me to reestablish desires for Mm -hmm. God and for you and for even myself and Mm -hmm. to be happy. Mm -hmm. But um, I suppose I'm sharing that just by way of encouragement to people who Mm -hmm. who are sitting camped out in front of that wall of fear, feeling yuck but not really just connecting to the reasons why they feel so hopeless. Yeah, about. so I,
0: I feel this wall of fear, though. Most people don't camp out in front of it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe that's just me. I camped Mate, out for You, a while. you
0: have, but <laughs> most of the people will don't. You know, they get to it. They even just look at it and they go, ah, <laughs>
2: and, and they then go, they go. So
0: it is gone. And, uh, and then they use all sorts of justification, anger, and all sorts of <laughs> other things to justify, and usually condescension, belittling, you know, all sorts of justification about the, what we will weigh. Yeah. as though no that's not the way and all that kind of stuff to tell themselves and it's all just an avoidance of their terror that's mm-hmm. all it is mm-hmm. and they tell themselves all sorts of things in that place like we've had many many people tell themselves all sorts of things <laughs> yeah. as you know yeah. and you know how hard it is to sit in front of that terror and not and just sit there and sit there mm-hmm. and sit there and sit there without any addictions anymore yeah. to help you cover them over that, that's it's quite
2: pretty painful. it's a
0: pretty painful place and and you know, it's taken a bit of encouragement from myself and, and also discussion with each other about the truth about God, like yeah. that God wants you through this place, yeah. that you can trust God through this place, that you can have faith that this is how your soul was made through this place, yeah. and that things will get better through this place, and then you've had a few experiences of your own which have which have caused your life to get better, yeah. and then you realise, wow, yes, I can trust all of that. And then you start moving through that barrier mm-hmm. of fear. Mm-hmm. But but the majority of people don't do that. They don't sit in front of their fear long enough to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. They, they get to their fear and off they go. And for, for many on the path, they haven't even got to their fear yet because they're still steeped in their in addictions, addictions. Yep. Uh, yeah, and not even that. honest about what those addictions are. Yeah. And so, so they never get to see their fear, of course. Yeah. And And... This is the trouble with all these self-deceptions is that we never get to our addictions, we never get to our fears. How can you ever get to your real causal emotional pain that's, that's causing most of your unloving behaviour if you're unwilling to even deal with your addictions or your fears? The answer is you can't. No. And so my suggestion to a person is if they feel stuck, wherever they feel stuck, so they might feel stuck Acknowledging their addictions, uh-huh. just sit there, <laughs> <laughs> feel that place and how you know pointless it feels and how str- how much of a struggle it feels, and feel that place. And at some point in your future, you will decide I want to get through this place. I don't want to go back to the life I had before. Uh-huh. I don't want to be steeped in these addictions that cause me to be unloving. I want to get through and be a more loving person and eventually your desire will build strong strong enough if you allow it and if you actively exercise the muscle of desire, which we'll talk about more in the coming assistance groups, and you will actually eventually have enough will to go, yes, I want to feel my addictions, I want to know what they are, I want to work through them. I want to get to the point where I'm face-to-face with my fear. <laughs> and then once we're face-to-face with our fear and we're just sitting there terrified, looking at this mountain of fear that we feel in front of us and bear in mind that it looks like a mountain because everyone who's terrified always thinks it's a mountain. Yeah. And, and we stay there in that place until we have a strong enough desire to actually start processing it, to actually feel it as an emotion and let it go. And yeah. then we get through with that. And then we get through our fear. That's how we get through yeah. our fear.
1: And and a lot of that is working through the false beliefs we have about fear, even, isn't it? The, and yeah. those those things I was referring to, the hopelessness. We have of
0: hundreds of false judgment,
1: beliefs. So, there's so much fear, so much judgment about fear on the planet as well. I feel. Not
0: only just judgment. It's like false beliefs other than judgment exist. You yeah. know, like there's so much fo- just false justification of I shouldn't have to go through it. It's not safe for me to go through it. Yeah. I'm going to be worse if I go through it. There's all sorts of things we tell ourselves and most people are telling themselves those things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, of course, they never get through it, Mm-mm. right, because they, they're listening to their own lies, Yeah. right? God doesn't believe that you can't go through fear. God doesn't believe that it's pointless. God doesn't believe that afterwards you're going to be, you know, some like weird state that you don't know, you know, you're going to be better. Well, know, it will feel. be
1: weird because you've never felt so good. Well,
0: it might, it, it, but it won't be... be weird in the sense of, you know, it won't, it won't be a sad place no, or, a, a, or, or a, a,
1: bizarre a bizarre place.
0: place. Yeah. It's actually a place where you feel more desire, more passion in your life, more happiness, more joy. So, mm-hmm. so if we're not feeling those things on the path and if we're stuck, then it's because we are usually justifying ourselves not progressing forward and the only reason why you wouldn't progress forward is because you're afraid Mm. So you really need to start facing what that wall of fear is Mm -hmm. if you're really Going to progress and if you haven't even touched your addictions yet, you're never going to see it because your addictions are there to cover it all over yeah. It's, like, it's like putting up a huge concrete wall and then putting a big, you know, ivy over it or something, you know, some plant over it so you can't see it. That's yeah. what we've done with our fear, most of us. We go, oh, isn't this environment so pretty, but I can't move in that direction because there's a solid wall there. But I, oh, it's not a wall, it's just a lovely ivy, you know. It's <laughs> a lovely plant that covers it all over, you know. <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah. how we see our fear. We Most of us are in complete denial of it because we want our addictions met and we're not honest about that. And once we get through that place where we actually want our addictions and we want to see our addictions, and see what they are, feel what they are, then we come face to face with our wall of fear. And the key at that point is don't run away.
2: Because
0: <laughs> if you run away, you're going to do a lot of damaging things when you run away. You will because you'll be living in your fear.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and it's not a very wise course of action to run away. You're better off taking up camp and sitting there than you are running away. And even better than that would be start examining all your beliefs about fear.
1: Yeah. And, and,
0: and accepting God's beliefs about them.
1: And the only way to accept God's beliefs about them is to emotionally connect, emotionally connect to our beliefs about fear. Correct. In my experience. Correct. We, it's all fine to have a discussion about it. Yep. But until we just really emotionally connect with what we believe is going to happen when we feel fear, that's the only time we make space for God's truth to enter us. That's right. And, and motivate us towards actually releasing fear. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. So so for, for um, I don't know the lady's name. It, was there that? was no name. There was no name. So for this lady who asked this question, and I feel lots and lots of people are in this state, my suggestion is if you notice now that you're in emotions of self-deception, that's great mm-hmm. because you've now to- see, oh, I've been fooling myself. And that's really good to see that. But, but look at the reasons why, and the reasons primarily why are that you do not want to face the addictions that you have because you don't want to let them go. And if you're ever going to progress forward, you're going to have to face them to let them go. Yeah. Or you do not want to face the fears you have and you don't want to let them go.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you're going to progress forward, you're going to have to let them go. That means you're going to have to face them at some point. So what I would suggest for people in this position Is that they allow themselves to examine their addictions more completely. Mm -hmm. And they also are more honest with, they need to be more honest with themselves about their addictions. And then also, in addition to that, they need to allow themselves to come face to face with their wall of fear. And instead of running away and instead of using techniques to run away like they always have all the way through their life, they need to be far more honest with themselves and allow themselves to just sit there and feel it for a while and feel how terrified they are and allow themselves to work through their false beliefs about fear. Mm -hmm. God doesn't have any false beliefs about fear. Mm -mm. God knows it's just an emotion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, honey. No worries. This question is from Amanda, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and she asks, what does God feel about us or for us when we are afraid?
0: Feel about us and for us. Well, first we start. God does not feel anything for us aside from love and, and compassion and kindness and mm-hmm. all those kind of things. God doesn't feel for us in the sense of in the implication of feeling for feeling our emotions with us. Yeah. So, so I'm sure Amanda knows that anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, but God does feel lots of loving emotions for us all the time, whether we're in fear or not. Yes. There's always just loving emotions that God feels for us. So, so when we feel fear, God feels compassion for us. Mm-hmm. God, of course, knows that we don't need to feel it. Mm. God knows that fear is a, a figment of our or our environment's creation. It's not reality from God's perspective. It's just an emotion we have to go through. So from God's perspective, God doesn't have any negative feelings about us when, it, when we feel fear.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: God knows that when we're afraid, we'll often break God's laws. Yeah. will often break the principles of the universe. And so God is always trying to help us deal with fear. Mm. And that's why there's a lot of usually fear-based events that happen in the average person's life yeah. because they're attracting fear-based events in order for them to work through the emotions of fear from their childhood and let them all go so that they can have a good life and mm-hmm. a happy life. So God's always trying to help people go through fear. But God doesn't want to punish us for our fear. The laws themselves correct our fear. Yeah. They, they, every time we act in harmony with fear, we automatically have a consequence that occurs as a result of our fear that, that impacts upon our soul. And, and also, often, if we've acted in harmony with fear with other people, then upon their souls too. So, God knows that it, it's a sad situation when we honour our fear for us, mm-hmm. but it's not for God. No. So, <laughs> God's, uh, God's okay with us using our free will to choose to live in our fear rather than not. Mm-hmm. Of course, God knows too that we could choose differently, yeah. that we could choose to no longer live in our fear and no longer honour it as God and trust God, trust the emotional process, trust and have faith in God's love. And so God, God knows that we could choose that. Mm. And God often observes us not choose that. Yeah. God often sees that we choose exactly the opposite of that. And every time we do, God knows that uh, there's just going to be a longer time before we're happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And God has compassion for us choosing unhappiness, but God also knows that there's no reason to choose unhappiness, yeah so you
1: know. what I notice a lot uh, on earth, especially in relation to fear, is that people often confuse commiseration for compassion, mm-hmm. and commiseration to me is a feeling that if I feel commiseration with you um, that oh, I feel
0: sad, you'll feel sad I'll with feel me. I'll feel
1: sad with you. And also there's an inherent feeling like it is too hard, and it, like with fear. Yes, fear is hard, this commiseration.
0: Yeah, and God, God doesn't feel that at all.
1: Yes, God feels <laughs> compassion, which is actually far more challenging of the error-based state, isn't it? Correct. Um, but a lot of people feel that that's not compassion because no. they usually associate commiseration with, with compassion. compassion yes
0: and god doesn't commiserate with our fear god's not agreeing with it mm. god doesn't think well no you should hold on to your fear forever. it is a bit too hard for you it's and, too hard for yeah. you don't do it yeah. god does not never feel any of those things god wants us to feel our fear yeah. because if we feel our fear we'll work through it if we don't feel our fear we'll live in it and mm. if we live in it we're going to do all sorts of things that are out of harmony with god's love We're going to have more pain in our soul as a result. We're going to create more pain on the earth when we don't live in our fear. So God knows that the best thing for us to do is to work through our fear. That's why a lot of God's laws are always trying to correct our fear and bringing us fear-based events, all the things we're afraid of, so that we can work through the fear itself. So God's trying to lovingly help us through the process of addressing our fears. Mm So God doesn't have any negative feelings, though, about it. So God doesn't want to punish us because we've had fear. God knows the cause of our fear often is not just the results of our own choices, but the results perpetrated towards us from other people's choices. I see, so God, yes. God knows that other people have chosen to do things that often cause a lot of our fear as well. And God also knows that while we f- feel fear, we can't feel much love. Mm-hmm. And so God wants us to let go of the fear so that we can feel God's love and also feel each other's love. Mm. You can't have Him in a relationship with another person while you're afraid of that person. So,
1: God has a great confidence in us as well. Well, Doesn't of course, he, that we can God, God is supremely
0: confident about our ability to deal with our fear because God created us to deal with it. So, yeah, yeah. you know, when, when, when you've created a perfect creation, you don't, you don't, get, you don't get all worried going, <laughs> Oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. I don't know if they'll be able to. You know, God knows mm-hmm. that we're going to be able to do it and that it's just a choice. Yeah. A choice that we may at the moment be unwilling to make, but at some point in our future, we are going to need to make if we're ever going to be happy. Mm. So God doesn't worry about it because no. God knows that God created a perfect soul. God knows your ability to deal with anything that's happened to you. God created you with the ability to deal with anything that's happened to you. That's the remarkable part about the human soul. We no matter how bad we've been treated throughout our life and how long and extended that treatment has been, God knows that we can heal from such treatment. Mm. And God knows that with God's help, we can go through anything. And not just go through it, but heal from it. Mm-hmm. See, what I, what I see a lot in religious uh, life today on earth, a lot of people do believe God helps you go through things,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but they don't believe that that, God, that you can be healed from going through those things. Yes,
2: that's true. And
0: God knows that you can be healed as long as you follow the way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You can be healed from every single injury you carry, including all of those injuries towards God, mm. if you follow the way. Mm. Mm. So God's got a lot of confidence in His own creation, <laughs> as, <laughs> Which God, is great. as a perfect creator would have. Yes. Yeah.
1: And sometimes I like to think about that in terms of because God's opinion of my capacity to deal with fear is often very different to my own.
0: Yes. Um, yes. And, and God knows that your capacity is much greater than what you currently believe it to be. Yeah. You know that's the reality too. God know created our soul to have this ability to have an infinite capacity eventually, and as we receive more and more God's love, we're approaching this infinite capacity that God created our soul to have as a potential. Mm. So God knows that we've got the ability to deal with any emotion, and and so do literally millions of celestial spirits know the same thing. They know that you can deal with emotion because they've done it. Mm-hmm. They've gone through all of their negative emotional experiences. They've processed through all of their fear. They no longer have any fear inside of their soul. They've done it. They know that it's possible. And often they're trying to encourage you that it's possible. But every time we come up to that wall of fear, we go, ah, and, and <laughs> run away. And even if, like I said in a, previous, in a previous answer, if we just sat in front of our fear and just felt it for a while, feel what it's all about, and feel the false beliefs associated with it, Mm -hmm. we'd get through it. Mm -hmm. But the majority of people don't do that. They come up to their fear. As soon as they come up to their fear, they hit their fear. And once they've hit their fear, the first thing they wish to do is just run off and run away. Mm. And that is the main problem with most people who discover the way to God. They discover the way, they follow it for a little bit, Until they hit their fear and then they want to give it up straight away. Mm. And uh, that's not a person who has a very strong desire to become at one with God. You know, when you have a really strong desire to become at one with God, you're willing to go through any of your emotions to do so. And if that means going through fear and terror that you've got in you anyway, that needs to be out of you anyway, if you're ever going to be happy, then you decide to go through it Mm. rather than run away. Mm. So... So God knows all of those things and God's pretty relaxed with our feelings of fear. But God also knows that every time we choose to live in harmony with our fear, we're choosing to walk away from truth. We're choosing to walk away from love. And, and of course, all we're choosing is more pain for ourselves mm. and God knows that. So, so the beauty of having complete knowledge of the human soul and being the creator of it is God has nothing to fear. <laughs> <laughs> about the capacity that he designed in our soul. Mm. He knows that we can deal with all of those things. It's just we ourselves that do not know.
2: Mm.
0: And it's just we ourselves that need to address why we're willing to imbibe and retain false beliefs that are the main thing that governs our fear. Remember, fear is the false beliefs appearing real to us. So every time we come up to this wall of fear, we're not seeing, initially we're not seeing that actually this entire wall is all about the construction of false beliefs, yeah. emotional, that are emotional within us, that we think are real and true, mm-hmm. and they're all false. Right From God's perspective, they're all false. From God's perspective, it doesn't really exist. This fear doesn't really exist. He knows that it, it, it exists as an emotion, as a human creation, yeah. but God never created fear. Yep. Yep. And, and any person who becomes at one with God lives in a state where they're completely fearless.
2: Yes. yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, That's great. Mm. Thank
1: you. This question's from Amanda. Mm. She asks, is it possible to maintain a connection with God when we are afraid?
0: Well, here we need to define a few things, So. What do we mean by connection with God? Well, we mean that dur- during this connection with God, we can be receiving God's love. So mm-hmm. let's, say, let's say instead of the words connection with God, we say, is it possible to be receiving God's love when we are afraid? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer to that question really is, it depends whether we're feeling our fear or not.
1: Or living in it versus or, or, living in it. Or
0: living in it. Yeah. So uh, well, as i originally said, just feeling our fear or not, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. If we are feeling our fear as an experience, if the fear is actually as an emotion passing through us, Mm -hmm. then any other emotion can also pass through us at the same time. This means love, including God's love, can pass through us. So theoretically, it is possible to maintain a connection with God or receive God's love as you are feeling your fear. Mm The problem is, though, that when we talk about people being afraid, they're usually not feeling their fear. So now they have blocked themselves to feeling the emotion of fear. Mm-hmm. If you're blocked to one emotion, according to what we've discussed as how the human soul functions, that's the, that's the attitude of preclusion. Yep. So, so while one emotion is within you and you're blocked to feeling it, you are now also blocked to feeling other emotions yep. right as well. And you are also suppressing, and the process of suppression is that you can't suppress one thing and hope that you're not suppressing everything else. Mm-hmm. Right, so there are principles about how the soul functions here now that are governed by what is the answer to the question. So the answer to the question is: if we are afraid, but we are not feeling the experience of our fear, mm-hmm. in other words, we're we're in it. We're in the feeling of fear. We're in the feeling of fear in the sense of. We live by it.
1: So it's,
0: it's, it's in inside
1: us. of us and we base our decisions around avoiding it.
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And we're not feeling it. Yeah. Then, yes, it is impossible under those circumstances to feel a connection with God and to feel the flow of God's love. Mm-hmm. And it's also impossible to feel any connection with truth and probably impossible to feel much of a connection with desire, particularly desire in the direction that we're trying to restrict the fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's a lot of things that are impossible, actually, if we stay in that state. But as soon as we choose to feel and experience the fear, now these other things become possible. Now now we have the ability to receive some truth about it. Now we have the ability to actually receive some of God's love while we're experiencing the emotion of fear. So this is the beautiful thing. Sometimes you can be going through the emotion of fear and at the same time receiving God's love as a confirmation that this is what you need to do right at the same time. And this is the beautiful thing about our relationship with God is that if we allow the emotion to flow and have a longing for God's love at the same time, then God's love can also flow at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is it confirms to us that what we're doing is the right thing. Yeah. This is why I can speak with a lot of conviction about emotions because I've had that confirmation from God about these emotions by going through the experience. And every person who goes through this experience will have the same confirmation. Mm -hmm. So so what I suggest to people is to say, okay, let's look at this issue of being afraid. Are we actually feeling the experience of being afraid or are we in denial of our fear and we're just walking around afraid everywhere we go without feeling it? and it's governing every one of our actions. Now, if it's the second, if we're walking around afraid and it governs every one of our actions and we're not feeling the fear itself, then no, we can't maintain a connection with God. And I suggest to everyone that you can't even maintain a connection with anyone else unless they are also in a state of fear.
2: Mm.
0: That's the sad thing. is mm. that You won't be able to maintain a connection with anyone who's in a state of truth. Anyone who's out of their addictions and out of their fear, you won't be able to be connected to either.
2: Mm. Not
0: just God, but also anyone of those other people you won't be able to connect to. You'll only be able to connect to the people who have the same fears you do. Yeah, That's the reality. And, and you'll your, feel drawn to them.
1: Your connection is based around the avoidance of that fear. Correct. Rather than, rather love than the feeling or, of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When you choose to feel it, all of those people will disappear from your life, actually. <laughs> All the people who have the same fear as you who do not want to feel it will all run away from you, mm-hmm. and you'll be left alone to feel it, which will be fantastic because you do need to feel it alone. Mm-hmm. Right? And then once you work your way through it, and if, even as you are working your way through it, as you are experiencing it emotionally, you can not only receive God's love, you can receive God's truth, you can receive other people's love, you can receive their truth, mm-hmm. you can do all sorts of things in your relationships now that you couldn't do before.
1: So actually holding on to fear and basing our decisions around it and trying to pray and connect to God at times, at other times, we're far less likely and even it's impossible for us to connect with God in any sustainable way while we live in that state. Whereas as soon as we begin to feel it, uh, we enable more connection with God, with truth, with love. Uh, from all sources. Yes. Yeah.
0: And that's the beautiful thing of going through your fear. Mm-hmm. If you go through your fear, what you finish up doing is you finish up coming to this point where you now trust God and you now trust that working your way through your fear is is going to change your life, completely change your life. Mm-hmm. And you now are willing to go through the process of feeling your fear. And the beautiful thing about going through the process is as you're going through it, you receive love from God. And that, that is just a wonderful thing because that gives you confirmation that you're doing the right thing. It's only the avoidance of it that causes you to stop receiving God's love in that moment. Yeah. So if you have a real heartfelt longing for God's love while you're going through your terror or fear, you will receive some of God's love while you're going through mm-hmm. the experience. And that and that then confirms to you that the experience was worth going through
1: (laughs) yeah it's a beautiful thing
0: Mm. but what most people do is they come up to their wall of fear they hit it and then they run away and they don't get to feel that if you feel it flow through you that you and also have a longing for god's love at the same time that you actually have confirmation that you're on the right track from god and you also at the same time have received some of god's love and god's truth in the process And you've also received some truth from God about fear. Mm -hmm. That it's actually just an emotion Mm -hmm. that you can process and that you don't need to be so afraid of your fear. (laughs) Which is what most people are.
1: And this is why faith can grow exponentially, can't it, once we start to really feel our fears and causal emotions. Because we as we start to do it we begin to have experiences that confirm things in a real way so it's not just a theory mm. and that inspires us to have more which gives us more emotional confirmation which yeah. so faith grows exponentially as we Correct. as we yeah. but the the key is starting that process isn't
0: it yes and like i've said we've been teaching this process i've been teaching this process for many many years now Many people have listened to it for six or seven years and yet they haven't got beyond their wall of fear. Mm-hmm. And, and while they don't, they don't get to experience the flow of God's love by going through their fear. Yeah. And that means they don't get to experience any positive effects of listening to the divine truth and so they run away from it. And, and naturally so, you're going to do that. There's going to be many people who continue to do that until they realise that the way to experience some of God's love And the way to actually work your way through things is to actually allow the flow of emotion in our soul while you're having a longing for God's love. And as you allow that to occur, you will receive some of God's love Mm -hmm. and that will become the confirmation you need that this is the way forward. And you won't need to rely on AJ telling you or Jesus telling you anymore. You'll be able to look at, the situation of what's occurred between you and God, Mm -hmm. and you will have received direct confirmation from God that this is the way forward.
1: This next comment and question comes from Renee. She says, don't people, most people come to God because of fear? (laughs) For example, when people are afraid of dying, they seem to cry out to God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doesn't this mean that fear is a good thing?
0: Uh, this is a funny question. Uh, fear is not a good thing ever, including if it motivates you to come to God because of it. Because if you're coming to God because of fear, you don't understand God at all
2: because mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> God doesn't respond to your fear. God responds to love. God responds to desire for truth. God doesn't respond to your fear. Yeah. So a lot of people do uh, come to, so-called come to God because of fear, but they don't have a relationship with God
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? and they never will. Because when you come to God because of fear, you're not going to God at all. God, God doesn't honour your fear. God doesn't you know, want you to live in it. Mm-hmm. And God knows that your fear is actually an emotion you just need to feel. So when, you, when your fear motivates you to go to God, then you're not really going to God at all,
2: at all. Mm.
0: Now, that is in direct contrast with what ha- half the world's religions will teach you. But the reality is God is not interested in people who come to God out of fear. Mm -hmm. God's interested in people who come to God out of desire. Mm -hmm. That's why a person who's in fear, whether it's of God or of what's about to happen to them because of God's creations, um, will never receive God's love Mm -hmm. because God does not respond to fear at all. Mm -hmm. So, So you can tell yourself that you came to God because of fear. You didn't. Right? You didn't come to God because of fear because you, there's no such God that responds to it. <laughs> you, you come to some imaginary God because yeah. of fear yeah. and the relationship I would suggest that a, such a person has with God is imaginary as well mm. because the reality is you do not have a relationship with God unless fear is outside of the relationship. So in other words, you've got to work your way through your fears yeah. in order to come to God.
1: And what about pain when people are in extreme emotional pain and they cry out for God or they?
0: Yeah, well, a lot of times it's impurely motivated. Yeah. So, in other words, God knows our motivations. It's like, and also bear in mind that much of our pain occurs because of God's natural laws. Mm -hmm. So when we cry out to God, saying, "Please don't let me have so much pain," we're saying to God, "Please don't let me live by your laws." Like Now, of course, God, God can't respond to that. Now, if, we, if our pain causes us to see that we've done something or we're acting in something that's out of harmony with love and we go to God because we can see that we're out of harmony and we ask God, wh- how is it that we're out of harmony? Now there's a prayer God can answer. Mm-hmm. The, the, the prayer will be answered if it's in harmony with
2: God's
0: yeah. laws and will. And and for most of us, most of our prayers aren't in harmony. And that's why none of them are answered. (laughs) Every purely motivated prayer is always answered. So if if we have a prayer that's not answered, it's because it's not purely motivated. Mm -hmm. It's selfish. Mm -hmm. And usually people who are in pain become quite selfish. Mm -hmm. They want just the avoidance of their pain. They don't want to see what created their pain. Now, God's very interested in us when we say to God, wow, I'm in a lot of pain. And we have an emotional feeling towards God. I want to know what this pain's all about. What how how this pain has been created by me being out of harmony with love somehow.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So please show me how. Yeah. You know, God's going to definitely try to respond to that prayer. When I say try, it just depends on how open we are to listening to the result as to whether yes. we will hear the answer. You know, most of the time we're pretty closed to the answers. But God will always try. And God will even ask emissaries. Mm-hmm to give us answers in or in those, under those circumstances. But God's certainly not going to be driven by any prayer motivated by fear or by self-interest or by our pain or our attempt to avoid it unless there are more pure motivations involved. God knows our heart okay. and prayer and God's love only responds to a pure heart.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the beauty of it. We can't fool God. We might be fooling ourselves, but we're not fooling God. So if we look back at the, this question, basically Renee is a, basically believes that she perhaps has been brought to truth mm-hmm. by being afraid of God. No, you haven't. You haven't absorbed any truth at all if you're afraid of God.
1: Or being afraid of other things. Or being things. afraid
0: of other things. You haven't absorbed any truth then either. Yeah. Right, You're just living in your fear mm-hmm. and you've got no relationship with God while you're in that place, mm-hmm. none at all. The key is to see that. Yeah. The key is to go, okay, I think that fear of, of God is a good thing mm-hmm. and it's not.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what the world's religions teach you, fear of God is not a good thing. You can't love someone you're afraid of and, and you can't believe they're going to love you.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> That's the reality. You can't. If you're afraid of being punished or you're afraid of something bad happening to you because you don't come to God, then you haven't got a pure desire for God's a relationship with God. You want to come to God because you're afraid of something bad happening if you don't. So that's not, that's not,
2: yeah. that's not
0: loving. And also not you're blaspheming God in that place. You're basically implying that God's going to harm you unless you worship God. Mm. That's, 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 that's like saying, oh, my government's going to put me in jail unless I believe what the government believes. What's the difference between those two statements? Or let's say we lived in Stalinist Russia
2: mm-hmm. and
0: we go, oh, I'm going to be put in jail unless I tow the communist line. Right? So from God's perspective, unless I tow God's line, I'm going to be put in jail of some kind. right? Do you love that country? If you're going to be put in jail if you do something that's completely different to what the country believes, and if God's going to put you in jail, like under the same circumstance, or punish you for something that you've chosen to do um, because you haven't worshipped God, then surely that's not, that God doesn't exist Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. That that God just does not exist. Mm -hmm. And, And if you believe that God exists, then you've got some pretty. Severe distortions about God's nature Mm. that you need to address before you'll actually receive God's love. Because God doesn't like anybody implying to God that God's a a, a maniacal dictator who's willing to punish and destroy his own creations. Like, and the reality is the average the average religion on this planet who believes in God believes that God is a maniacal dictator who is willing to destroy millions of people at once. Mm -hmm. Like God's the worst murderer of all. God's the worst dictator of all. God's the worst person, you know, who involved in genocide of the human race under those circumstances, and that's not what God is. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So, you know, so firstly, fear of God will never cause us to have a relationship with God. Secondly, Fear itself of our pain or any other thing in our life is not going to cause us to have a relationship with God. Relationship with God is driven by pure desirous motivation. and A longing.
1: A longing. And it's not a longing to avoid our pain or ourselves or no, our fear. And That's no. really what I felt Renee was getting at. That totally. Her desire to escape her pain and her fear is what brought her to God. Yes. And,
2: and
0: that's not a pure motivation and it hasn't brought her to God, I know this, Renee, yeah. and she is not yet with God
2: Yes, and in,
0: in any way. Yeah. She's not even begun her relationship with God yeah. yet because she, one of the main reasons because she has this belief yeah. that somehow her fear of her own pain can bring her to God. No, it cannot.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You need to have, have no fear of your pain to, bring, to go to God.
1: Well, to connect to God, don't you? Yeah, you God have,
0: knows that you, to... you have no need to fear your pain. Yeah, yeah. To connect to God, you're going to have, to have no fear of your pain. Mm. <laughs> That's the reality. Mm. And you're going to need to let yourself feel it. Yeah. And fear shouldn't be the driving force of any relationship, let alone your relationship with God. Yeah,
2: very and true. if
0: fear is a driving force in any relationship, it's never going to be a good relationship, ever. And that includes your relationship with God. Yeah. You're going to believe God to be something God is not, which is actually blasphemous to God's character and nature.
2: It's
0: blasphemous to God's personality, even though God doesn't get offended by it, it's still <laughs> blasphemous
2: yes. right? in the
0: sense that it's falsely portraying God to be something that God isn't. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's portraying God to be something, I should say, that God isn't <laughs> yeah, instead yeah. of those two negatives yeah. that I keep using. And, and this is the thing that we need to bear in mind is that often we imply towards God that God's terrible when the reality is God's just beautiful. Mm. And, and until we are driven by a motivation to know a beautiful God, then we're not really going to have a pure longing for God's love or a pure longing for the relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, I disagree completely with her. No, anybody who says that fear has brought them to God, it has not brought you to God. It's brought you to a figment of your own imagination, which is not God. And any feelings you have from that figment of imagination probably come from spirits that, with whom you're in codependent addiction.
2: Mm-hmm. It's not
0: from God. Because mm-hmm. God cannot connect to a person who has false beliefs about God and who wants to retain them and only wants to come to God for Mm. self-interest.
1: Thank you. Very comprehensive. Okay. Okay. This question is from Linda Mm -hmm. and she's asking about experiencing fear when she's in physical pain. Yep. She says, for myself, I find that the biggest block is probably that I still want instant gratification.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: In other words... I pray about the condition, ask for assistance, touch on it Mm -hmm. and very quickly bow out as it's too hard. Mm -hmm. I've only ever managed to get all the way through the fear to a healing with regard to physical pain twice so far and each time it has taken several hours to get there. But I often tell myself that I don't have the time right now or I'm too tired right now Mm -hmm. and then take a Panadol Mm -hmm. so I don't even try. What's going on?
2: Well,
0: it's quite simple what's going on, really. Um, there's not much humility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, she doesn't want to feel all of her own emotions. And in particular, she doesn't want to face her addictions. So so the problem of wanting instant gratification is all about addiction. And she wants instant gratification when it comes to physical pain. So in other words, she wants the pain to immediately disappear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Pretty much everyone on the planet's like that. That's why, you know, pain... Pain relief industries are huge. (laughs) Pharmaceutical companies are all about pain relief, right? Most of them. And as a result, they are huge enterprises on the planet because Mm. the average person on the planet wants to have instant gratification to avoid pain, particularly physical pain. You see, I find it quite interesting too that the majority of us are willing to avoid emotional pain but not willing to avoid physical pain. Sorry, not willing... So we well. What I mean by this, by that, is this: yeah. emotional pain. We want to ignore. Yes. We we want to remain in denial of it. Yeah. We don't understand that this emotional pain, when we deny it, causes physical pain. Yes. Another layer of pain. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, for Linda, you need to bear in mind, Linda, you've got your emotional pain. Your denial and suppression of your emotional pain causes your physical pain. Yep. Yeah. Right. And you wanting. Instant gratification to make this physical pain go away by taking a Panadol or some kind of relief, pain relief, is an indication that you do not want to feel the physical pain. But it's also an indication that you do not want to feel the physical pain itself, I'm saying, is an indication you do not want to feel the emotional pain. Yes. So you've got a number of problems. (laughs) You don't want to feel the emotional pain, and as a result, physical pain gets created. You don't want to feel your physical pain, or you want it to go away very rapidly, so you take a Panadol. Now, when are you ever going to get to your emotional pain if you keep doing this? Never is the answer. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get to it. Now, when you arrive in the spirit world, you're not going to be able to take a Panadol for your physical pain. Mm -hmm you're going to feel it. You're going to need to feel it. So why, why wouldn't you choose to start feeling it now? Why wouldn't you choose to start going through the feeling of it? And the reason is because you don't want to feel your emotional pain. <laughs> so there's a number of layers of problems here. Yeah. The layer of problem is, firstly, there's an addiction to avoid emotional pain. And then on top of that, there's an addiction to avoid the result of suppressing emotional pain, which is the physical pain. The physical pain is the result of suppressing the emotional pain and you have an addiction to suppressing even the physical pain. Mm-hmm. In other words, you want nobody to tell you ever, <laughs> including all of God's laws, to tell you ever that you've got a problem emotionally. Yeah. The physical pain is telling you you've got a problem emotionally and you're not facing it. You're not facing it. And the location of the pain is telling you what it's about you know so if it happens to be in your tummy period time or you know then it's telling you you're avoiding some sexual issues or emotional issues about being a woman or Mm. like stuff like that if it's if it's a headache pain it tells you you're probably avoiding grief you're trying to shut down your grief and suppress your grief that's why you're in the physical pain and and a person who's using physical substances to avoid physical pain has also got this other layer going on, which is they're they're using that the physical pain is present because they've already used emotional things, emotional addictions to avoid emotional pain. And that's why they've got the double layer Mm -hmm. happening. Now, I can't ever see such a person getting from their physical pain to their emotional pain unless they first have a willingness to go through their physical pain without having an avoidance of it yeah because the physical pain is a direct result of avoiding the emotional pain so so it's almost like i avoid the emotional pain so i create the physical pain and then i want to deny that i created it by going away and getting a substance that helps me avoid the fact of my that it's my own creation mm-hmm. So, this is an indication too that there's no responsibility being taken for what you are creating for yourself. Yeah. You're not seeing the link between your emotions and the physical pain, the suppression of your emotions and the physical pain. And you're not seeing also that every time you suppress your physical pain using a substance, you're actually avoiding the entire process of acknowledgement of what's really going on inside of your soul.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a fairly hard, like, a, like it's very difficult for a person who's doing such things to ever get close to God mm-hmm. as a result.
2: Mm.
0: And of, obviously it's going to be very frustrating for those people yeah. because they're in avoidance on a number of levels. Mm. Yeah. So
1: that's what's going on. And what's the alternative that well, Linda has?
0: Well, the alternative is firstly, let's work backwards. Yep. The alternative is seeing the physical pain as a direct result of the suppression of emotional pain. That's the first awareness that needs to occur. And if you willingly feel the physical pain, you'll know where it is, and therefore there's a fairly good chance you understand what emotion is driving it. Right? Once you start feeling the emotion that's related to, that you that you've purposely been suppressing, then the physical pain will actually disappear. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You'll feel the emotional pain and the physical pain will disappear. That's the reward of allowing the physical pain, the the emotional pain to be felt. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself to feel that. Now, if the physical pain does not disappear, then you're not feeling the emotion that caused it. The physical pain will always disappear if you feel the emotion that caused it. And when I say feel the emotion that caused it, feel... The suppression of the emotion that caused it. Because physical pain is always the result of suppression, resistance to the emotion. Mm -hmm. It's not the result of feeling an emotion.
1: No. Mm.
0: So what I do myself is I feel the physical pain and then I realise, ah, I'm still suppressing that emotion. And I allow myself to feel about the emotion and whatever the emotion is. So like a few nights ago, I woke up with this feeling about you know how disapproved of I am by my father and I allowed myself to feel that emotion. And my pain in my lower tummy, which has always been with me ever since I can remember, mm-hmm. I've had it all my life, I still, still have it occasionally, still now, mm-hmm. and it's been there all the time and constant pain all the time, it disappeared for about 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So now I know I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. My physical pain disappears, that tells me, then I'm now on the right track for this emotion. Yep. And while I allow myself to feel that emotion, that physical pain will lessen or disappear completely.
2: Great. So that's what
0: I would do. Yep. So you can experiment with that. You can yeah. go, okay, I'll feel this emotion. No, that didn't work. You know, My pain's still <laughs> there. Well, obviously it's not the emotion
2: yep.
0: and so forth. So this is a beautiful system that God has created. It's a beautiful system because it gives you complete feedback about what's going on inside of you. Yep. And this is a fantastic thing about everything God has done, is you have right at, your, right at this moment, right now, as you're listening to this, each one of you has and are, are being given messages. You are being given messages at this moment about what is wrong, what is going on inside of you, what emotions you're suppressing. The pain in your body? Wherever that is, is telling you where the emotions are and what what is being suppressed. Mm -hmm. And if you just allow yourself to feel it, you'll probably discover the emotion you're suppressing if you allowed it. Most don't allow it. And so what they do is suppress that, then the pain comes, and then they suppress that. And if you suppress that, you are in the process of complete denial of the emotional experience and the physical experience. Now, like, you're never going to be close to God doing this, Mm -hmm. but also you're never going to be happy doing this and you'll never have any real relief, permanent relief from your physical condition. And you'll be reliant, you'll become reliant on drugs in order to suppress your physical condition and your physical pain. And most people on this planet are now completely reliant on drugs until they die as a result uh, of these things occurring. And, of course, that's not the way God intended our life to be. But unfortunately, it's the way that we've created our life to become through our choice to suppress.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Our choice, firstly, to suppress our emotion, and then, of course, on top of that, the choice to suppress the physical results of suppressing our emotions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, would talk, I, I would suggest to Linda, you really need to have a good look at how the human soul functions, right? The, taking this course of action is a result of fear. Mm -hmm. You you are living in fear here, taking these actions. You are afraid of pain, and you were also afraid of the underlying emotion that's caused your pain. Mm -hmm. And my suggestion is to allow yourself to work your way through your fears about pain and the causes of it, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: to start to acknowledge the truth about how God's designed your soul, and to see physical pain as a result of your own resistance. Your physical pain is a direct result of your own resistance. Mm. To see the linkage between those two things and take responsibility for that. That'll help you greatly to discover what the emotional thing is inside of you that you are suppressing that causes your physical pain. Mm. So it's a great way of finding out the truth about what's going on inside of you emotionally.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. Why did God create fear? Is there actually a reason for it?
0: (laughs) Why does anybody imagine that God created fear? There's no fear in God, no fear in love. There's no fear in any of God's universe aside from in people. (laughs) So who created fear? Let's get it right. We created fear. We created fear by by having false beliefs that are emotionally placed inside of us through experiences that we then don't want to let go of. Mm -hmm. That's how we created fear. Mm -hmm. And we live by it. So we created fear, not God. Mm -hmm. God created the potential for the human soul to feel fear. Just as God created the potential for the human soul to feel anger, the potential for the... This is what free will is, the potential to feel anything. So that's one aspect of free will. By giving us the gift of free will, God gave us this gift of being able to have any emotion we so choose. Whether those emotions are of our own creation or not, we can feel them. Now, the only emotions God actually created that come from God are all based around love. None of them are based around fear. So God didn't create fear. God create, gave you the gift of free will and then God gave you the gift of choosing what you wish to experience. And what we wish to experience is fear. Mm-hmm. We, we want to live in fear. Uh, that's, that's the human condition. And unfortunately, we're willing to do that because we don't want to face the truth. We don't want to come to know what the truth is. The truth and fear, the fear truth is the antidote, if you like, to fear. Truth gets rid of fear. That's why people on the earth say, education, education, <coughs> education. What does education do? It removes people's fears. Yes, That's what it does. Truth removes people's fears, right? So the reality is fear was created by humans. Choosing to walk away from God, walk away from truth. That's how fear gets created. That's why you have fear in you now. Because humans, historically, and even in your own life, if you're reflective about it, you will see that you've walked away from truth, walked away from love, and walked away from God. That's what created your fear. That's why you have fear. God didn't create it. You did. So who's going to destroy it? Not God. (laughs) Because God says, you have to destroy what you created so if you created fear, you're going to have to be the person who destroys it. I can't destroy it, it's not my creation. Yes. It's yours. You did it through the exercise of your free will. So you created the fear, you're going to have to remove it. Now, when we say that, when I say that, collectively we created the fear. Now, individually that might not be as specifically the case. So, in other words, in, as an individual, we may not be personally responsible for the creation of our fear. But the human race is certainly responsible for the creation of fear on this planet
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the human race is totally responsible for it and it's only the human race that can remove it Yes. through their actions, through their through choices, their will. through their will, through, yeah. the, through their desire to know the truth and to practice it and to live in harmony with love, mm-hmm. fear will disappear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we have the potential on this planet of having a, a, a living system, including humans, where not a single thing in the living system has any fear. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Animals included, people, nobody has fear. That's our potential. But we chose a different potential because we chose the error. We chose to live on the false beliefs. We chose to believe these false beliefs. We now choose to retain them. We now choose to oppose the truth. And we're so much involved in this choice that we actively oppose truth. We do. We kill people who tell us the truth. Historically, this has happened all the way through human history. A person tells another person the truth, whether it be the truth about the universe or the truth about life on earth, and somebody comes along and kills the guy because they don't want to know the truth. And it's that kind of attitude that has caused all of our fear. And that's that kind of attitude is the reason why we have fear within us. So fear is not God's creation. And in fact, there are many things that God has not ever created. All of them humans have created because God gave you the gift of free will and the gift to create. Mm -hmm. You can create. You're allowed to create fear if that's what you wish to create. You're allowed to create anger. God doesn't have it. You're allowed to create fear. God doesn't have it. You're allowed to create grief. God doesn't have it. (laughs) Right? You're allowed to create shame. God doesn't have it. You're allowed to create. Guilt. God doesn't have it. Mm. Like these are all of our, all of our creations through what we choose to do with our will, and we need to see it as such.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding on the planet, isn't there, uh, of the relationship between God's creation and the use of our will. Mm-hmm. In that, many people believe that God created everything that exists, but actually, God created this human soul with huge potentialities. Uh, to create all kinds of things through the use of will. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where questions like this come from. Why did God create fear? Why do we assume that God created anything negative?
0: Yes, mm. the presumption that God created fear is already flawed. Yep. Like, and this is the problem is many questions we get asked are based on presumptions that are completely flawed. Mm-hmm. Like God didn't create fear, never created it. God created a potential for you to feel fear by creating, you, giving you the gift of free will. You then, through your choices or through the choices imposed upon you by other people who made choices, imbibed the emotion of fear, mm-hmm. which you now also have refused through your own choice to feel
2: mm-hmm.
0: because if you chose to feel it at the time it was created, it wouldn't be in you now. So you chose to not feel it and you're still choosing to not feel it right now and that's what, why fear exists in you. Like you could choose to release it too and it wouldn't be within you anymore. Like that would be in harmony with God to release it. Yeah. Right? And God gave you this ability to choose whether you even want to release it or not. And you're allowed to not release it, but it's going to harm you for the rest of your existence, not just for the rest of your life on earth. It's going to harm you for the rest of your existence unless you release it. Mm-hmm. When you release it, from then on, you will no longer be harmed by it. So we need to see that God, created the, God that God created the potential by giving us free will. And remember, free will is an emotional place. It's an emotional place of being able to experience any emotion we choose. Mm-hmm. And we created the emotion of fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Before then, it never existed in God's universe. We, we created it mm. through our choices and, and, and our desire to walk away from truth walk away from love, created this fear that is now exists in humanity as a whole and in individuals. Yeah. But we can also release it. That is also our choice. <laughs> and we can make that choice. And God is never going to re- release it for us yeah. because it's not God's creation. God will help us go through the release,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: God will never do it for us. Right? So every person who expects Jesus to come along and make all their fear go away or God to come along and make all their fear go away has a severe flaw in their logic. God created the ability for the human soul to experience whatever it wishes to experience and we chose to experience fear. We are going to have to choose to release it, to, to let it go, to to change the experience. We are going to have to choose that if we ever want fear to disappear. Now, there was a second part to her
2: Is there
1: actually a reason for fear?
0: Of course there's a reason for fear, and I think I've already explained that. The reason for all of our fears are all about our resistance to truth and love, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: real love and real truth I'm talking about, not this fake stuff that we've got going on on Mm -hmm. the earth. So whenever we resist love and whenever we resist truth, whenever... Love is not flowing. Whenever truth is not flowing, fear will be created. Mm-hmm. And fear will become an emotional experience that's inside of us that we will either choose to hold on to or release. Yeah.
1: And would you say that our desire to hold on to false beliefs is what...
0: It's the major cause of all of our fear. It's,
1: and so fear enters us and then we want to hold on to these false beliefs and so it, it never goes away. Never and goes away. And it gets passed down
0: to the next generation. When I hold on to my fear of all my false beliefs, remembering that all of, according to how we've discussed about the human soul and how it functions, all of my false beliefs are emotional. Mm -hmm. So these are emotions that are within me. I get together with you, we have a baby, right? That child is now absorbing all of my emotional beliefs. It doesn't have any way of preventing the absorption, Mm -hmm. so it absorbs them. And as a result, that child, by the time it's born, has already got a fair degree of fear in it. Yeah. Not not the same fear as me because it has yet to be suppressed. It could experience it. And this is why most children cry for a lot. Yes. Because they have a lot of tears to feel because of what they've already absorbed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Any child who was born perfect, any child that was born without without any fear in the parents would, would co- arrive in this world in a calm and placid place. You don't... You don't see many of the animals screaming their heads off when they're born. Mm-hmm. You see them jumping around, enjoying themselves mm-hmm. within a few hours. Is yes. that not the case? Yes. Why do we see animals doing that? Because the parents aren't passing down the fear. The mm-hmm. fear comes from humanity. Mm-hmm. Now, it's our fear that, hum- that, that animals feel. They don't have fear inside us. They don't have a soul to feel fear. We are the ones with the soul feeling fear. That's the reason why a lot of animals are born with a lot more simple processes and procedures than what we give birth as because of our fear and and we need to see how how endemic it's like a pandemic (laughs) you know (laughs) it's a it's a worldwide problem this this the this viewpoint of fear but but also we need to see that it is our own creation and the majority of people on this planet do not see it as their own creation Mm And they do not see that their own suppression of it causes more of it. They do not see that either. Fear is the worst problem on the planet. Yeah. It's worse than anger because yes. fear causes
2: anger. Yes.
0: Without fear, you would never get angry. Yeah. right? And without suppression of fear, I should say, you would yeah. never get angry. So fear is the worst problem on the planet. Mm-hmm. And and. This is why I've given talk after talk after talk about it. But even the people doing the transcribing ever talks don't want to transcribe those talks <laughs> because they're afraid. <laughs> so it's like fear. It's amazing how much fear affects people. Yes. Right. And, and fear is, is our worst problem because it resists truth mm-hmm. and it resists love. Mm-hmm. And as, as such, while we honour fear, we will never progress in love. It's impossible to progress in love while we honour fear. Mm-hmm. We need to feel it, let it go. We need to experience it, let it go. We need to go through the fear and we need to see that none of our fears are actually real from God's perspective. None of them. Even our fear of death is not real from God's perspective because you don't actually die. Yeah. Like, and all of the other things that we create, we are so terrified of pain and we don't see it as our own creation. God never created pain. Mm-hmm. God created the ability of your soul to feel pain when you suppress things. Yeah. Uh, like to tell you when you've done something out of harmony with connection with God. Mm-hmm. You know that's why we experience pain. It's all the same thing. We choose to blame God for what we have created. And mm-hmm. while we're doing that, we will never get become at one with God, but also we can never be happy. Yeah. Because we're blaming someone else for our own creation. Mm-hmm. We need to take responsibility for our own creation and work our way through the actual results of our own creation and release from ourselves what's going on with our creation. Mm. Yeah. So that, like, these kind of questions are interesting, I feel, because they blame God for things that God's never done.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and it's so important for people to see that,
2: mm-hmm. that
0: God's never crea- God never created anger, God never created fear, God never created violence. God didn't create these things. We created them. Mm. We created them because we live in fear. We created them because we're unwilling to feel our own pain. We want other people to share in our pain. We want other people to pay for our pain. That's why we created fear. And that's why, you know, it's all the, these creations of our own that we're not taking responsibility for. We blame everything else other than ourselves, you know. Yeah. And we've got to start seeing who is the real cause. Mm-hmm. The real cause is our own choice to live out of harmony with love and truth. That's the cause. Mm. That's
1: a great answer.
2: Thank
0: you. I suppose that was a fairly long tirade. <laughs> but, but I feel it's, it's such an important subject. Yeah. I, I often see God getting blamed for, for things that are going on on the earth when God had nothing to do with them, nothing to do with yeah. them, and the only thing that God participated in most of them is it giving us the gift of free will that we have then used that. It's like, it's like somebody giving us the gift of a knife and we go around stabbing a whole heap of people and ourselves and then saying, well, wow, it's real painful this knife, <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: right, instead of using it for what it's created for, yes. right? Yeah. And so, you know, what, which is, I feel, making some meals up for us yep. and eating or enjoying some food or whatever.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, you know, there are, we need to see the truth of it. Like, and this is what we're doing with God. God gives us this wonderful gift that's very useful, <laughs> actually. You know, free will is a very useful gift. If we weren't given it, we'd just be automations of yeah. God rather than the free will, the free beings that we are. So it's a necessary place. to It's a, it's a necessary gift to give somebody if they're ever going to be completely free. Mm-hmm. And so God gives us this beautiful gift of freedom, And we go around and use it badly and then complain about the results. That's very, very stupid, really. Mm -hmm. We're very stupid. We need to start saying, no, the results are are directly caused by our own choices and we need to stop blaming God for things that are our own choice. Mm -hmm.
1: And stop having this kind of fatalistic attitude towards our fear of luck Oh, I'm a helpless party in this, you know. It's yeah. sort of like, what's the re- what could possibly be the reason for this? Because it's got nothing to do with me. I know that hmm. many of us have had that feeling of And that's this. the implication I, I'm of this question, of the isn't fear. it? yeah.
0: Like, the implication of the question is, is there actually a reason for fear? Like, yeah. why would God create something so stupid as fear? Isn't and it? That,
1: I, that I feel so <laughs> terrible about it and not really <laughs> understanding that that's under my control. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. and God's not stupid. No. God doesn't create fear. No. God, why would God ever want to create fear? God created with you the potential for you to experience everything that you create. And when you deny truth and deny love, you're going to, have to create fear. That's what you're going to do. And you're going to then have to deal with the consequences of it because God says it's your creation, your creation, humanity's creation. We need to collectively start to see it as our, our creation and understand that we can undo it. Yeah. We can undo it. We can reverse this creation.
1: Yes, it's not, it's not a given or a foregone, foregone conclusion that fear will be a part of our lives. It's, no. not a, it's not a necessary part of how we exist. It's not a fact we have to get used to. It's no. not any of those things. No. It's something that can be gone yes. from our life yes. forever. Forever. Uh, but that's up to us and yes. we're going to have to stop blaming God for it yes. <laughs> in order and, for that to happen. And
0: the sad thing about blaming God for it is that while we blame God for it, we're not taking responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. And when we don't take responsibility for something, it's impossible for us to actually fix it. And and this is our problem, is while we're blaming God and while we blame everything, everybody else, and not looking inside of ourselves, we're really blaming everybody for what we have created.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And we're blaming God in particular for what we have created. And God never created it. And while we blame God, we are not taking responsibility. Yeah. We have a huge issue with responsibility. Yeah. We are responsible for our own creations, and we are also responsible for destroying our own creations.
1: That are out of harmony with love. That are
0: yeah. out of harmony yeah. with love. So we need, if we're going to destroy fear,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we, need, we are the people who need to do it. God's yeah. not going to do it for us. Yeah. God can help us. But God's not going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. We need to engage our will to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the way it works. And so it should. Yes. If you think about it, mm-hmm. so it should. Yeah. We can't make choices in our lives only to have somebody else come and rescue us from our choices all the time
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then be responsible beings. The only way we can be responsible beings is by making a choice and then dealing with the consequence, good or bad, of that choice. Yeah. It's the only way we can be responsible beings. Yeah.
1: When I have the false belief that my fear and terror is normal, how do I change that? How do I feel God's truth on the matter and make love the norm?
0: Well, I find, I find this uh, question quite interesting because it, it actually betrays that the person doesn't understand emotion yet. Mm-hmm. You see, if you uh, feel your fear, then it goes from you and then truth is automatically the norm. Yeah. So I I feel like this person, I feel it's a woman who's asked this question. um, This lady is trying to suggest that she can do some kind of intellectual process or some kind of physical process which is going to help her make love the norm. Mm Mm-hmm. Aside from having to feel her fear. Her fear. And the real answer to this question is feel your fear. Yeah. Feel it. Experience it. All right? Then truth and love become the norm. Like one doesn't come before the other. And there's almost this, this supposition in the question that <clears throat> this belief, if you like, that she will be able to make truth and love the norm and then go through fear. Yeah. That, that's trying to put the cart before the horse, actually. Mm-hmm. The only way that truth and love can become the norm is for you to go through fear first with faith that in the end you can deal with it, and then truth and love becomes the norm. Yep. That's the only way that's ever going to happen. It doesn't matter how much you convince yourself that there's a different way, there isn't. <laughs> you must first go through the emotion of fear before truth and love can become the norm, not the other way around.
1: Do you think she's also asking that um, it's about justifying fear and terror? Do you feel that that's what this person is asking? They're saying, um, it's normal for me to have fear and terror. It's normal for me to avoid it. Uh, And that can be a justification for not dealing with it? Do you think that's what they're asking? I feel
0: that's what she's saying. Yes. Certainly. That she's still not... Uh, the actual premise of the question that's, yes. so i'm trying yes. to deal firstly here with, with the, the premise, premise of, of the question, question. Yeah. the premise of the question is basically that there's something that you can do to make truth and love the norm and then you'll go through fear yeah that's the premise of the question yes well that that's, that's incorrect yeah. there's no, the presumption is incorrect mm-hmm. you will not make truth and love the norm unless you go through fear you have to go through fear first mm-hmm. fear is your own uh, is a creation of humanity and it must be released before truth and love can become the norm. So the general premise of the question is already false. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now let's look at her question. Yes. And the, and the question she's asking is, is there something I can do to feel God's truth on the matter and make love the norm? Feel, In other words, feel God's truth about fear and make love the norm. No, there's not. Other than going through your fear, no, there's not. I know you want there to be.
2: Mm. Mm. (laughs) I
0: know you desperately desire that there's some kind of magic wand or magic trick or magic (laughs) thought that you're going to be able to have, some kind of magical technique that goes, ah, now that you've uh, done this magical thing, you'll go through fear.
2: Yeah.
0: No. You need to go through fear before you'll understand how to go through it. Mm -hmm it's the same with pretty much everything in your life actually you'll need before you can actually love you have to go through the feeling of love you need to yeah. feel love and go through the experience of love before you'll understand it
2: mm-hmm.
0: to understand your fear you're going to need to go through your fear yeah. so stop telling yourself that there's another way <laughs> and the, the premise of this question is there there is a desire for so there to be another way, way a different way There's a desire that there's some kind of magical solution that will allow her to go through the emotion of fear and to start to see that there's a reason for going through it,
1: Mm. right? But surely there's enough evidence. Even if we examine our life when we're living in fear and terror, Mm -hmm. we can say, oh, this is a normal state of being that everyone's in. But if we really examine our life and become sensitive to how dissatisfied, limited, how much pain we're in, surely we can begin to see that there's evidence that it doesn't matter if everyone's in this state, it can't be normal from God's perspective because it's full of pain and dissatisfaction. So even within that, it's not a technique, but you could just um, examine the results of living in fear and terror.
0: Yes, and this brings up the operation of truth, Mm -hmm. right? Even if you start to tell yourself an intellectual truth, which is possible. Yep. So as a part of this question, you could start telling yourself intellectual truths. For example, an intellectual truth might be, I believe, intellectually, of course, mm-hmm. that once I go through fear, I'll live, be very happy. Mm-hmm. But it's only an intellectual thought at this point. I believe that God wants me to go through fear. That's only an intellectual thought.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I believe that when I go through fear, I'll have all these benefits. That's only an intellectual thought. I believe that because we we have all these problems on earth because of fear, that's only an intellectual thought.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Until you actually go through the experience of your own fear, you will not believe any of those things.
2: Mm.
0: You will not. So something has to happen inside of you to decide to go through your fear. And that's your will needs to be engaged. And if, there's only, if there is any magical solution, <laughs> there's only one, and that is use your will to go through your fear. Yeah. Now, most people who are asking this kind of questions have already decided to not use their will to go through their fear.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And they've, they're actively using their will to deny, shut down, avoid their fear. And they're in heavy addiction to avoid their fear. Right? And then they say, please give me a magical pill that will help me deal with fear because I know my fear is influencing my relationship with God. And the question I'm asking is, if you know your fear is influencing your relationship with God and actually stopping it, surely that should be enough motivation to go through the emotion of fear. And if it's not enough motivation, then perhaps you need to study more about God's God's nature and all those kind Mm -hmm. of things to help you come to at least some intellectual awareness But at some point, even after you've done all of that, you still may not go through your fear. Because going through your fear requires that you actually emotionally engage your will so that you want to go through your fear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's all it requires, to emotionally engage your will to do so. Now, to do that, we've got to look at all the reasons why we don't want to engage our will to do so. And sure, that means feeling all of our false beliefs, so whatever false beliefs we have about fear need to be felt. Mm-hmm. Right? There's nothing we can do to absorb the truth about them until they're felt. The truth and the error cannot exist on the same subject in the soul at the same time. Right? This is one of the major points about how the human soul functions. So, so while the fear inside of me exists about dealing with my fear, the truth about dealing with my fear cannot enter me. And I'll be looking for all the excuses under the sun to avoid my fear. Yes. When I start feeling my own avoidance of my fear,
2: mm-hmm.
0: feeling about whether it's actually wise, feeling about all the, defin- all, the, all the reasons why I believe I should be able to avoid my fear, once I start feeling all of those things, now more and more of my addictions will release about my fear. Yeah. And then I'll, be in, I'll end up with no addictions about my fear that still doesn't mean I'll go through my fear. Mm-hmm. Because unless I want to use my will to go through my fear, I won't. Mm. I just won't. So at some point, I'm going to have to develop my will enough to go through my fear, to actually experience it, to go through it emotionally. Now, I believe that a relationship with God is worth it. And I believe a relationship with my soulmate is worth it. And if those two things are not worth it enough for you, I don't know what's going to make it worth it. Yeah, You have to ponder about that and think about that. What is going to make it worth it for you mm-hmm. to go through your fear? And do you want the results of what you're currently doing? Whenever you deny your fear, you've got pain, suffering, you've got physical pain, suffering. These are all happening all the time to you right now. Do you want to keep going through these things or do you want to work through your fear? What is it? at some point you're going to have to make a choice to actually feel it, emotionally make a choice to feel it. Mm-hmm. And that requires a switch to occur inside of you where you no longer justify it, you no longer say it's normal, you no longer say, oh, the whole world's in it, so I should be in it too. You no longer do it because the, everyone in the world wants you to stay there. You no longer do it because you're afraid of what the world will think of you doing it. And you no longer, you know, that relo- requires releasing all those different emotions because they're all emotions yeah. that cause your beliefs from you, and then you'll get to the point where, yeah, I want to go through my fear. I think it's fantastic going mm-hmm. through my fear. And then you'll go through your fear, and you'll be surprised that it won't take very long. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the big build-up that takes a long <laughs> yeah. time. All the destruction of all of the false beliefs surrounding it—that's that, what takes the long time. Yeah. By the time you get to going through it, you, you usually most people breeze through it in a few months. <laughs> At the most. And a few months out of a year, you know, out of seventy, eighty years of your life, hardly anything. Yeah. And the difference it's going to make to your entire life, completely different. It's going to change life overnight. Yeah. If you let yourself feel it. So so I'd I'd go for it if I was you, <laughs> but you know, there's not much I could do to convince you other than telling you the truth. Yeah. Because the truth is the antidote to fear.
2: Antidote, but it's
0: yeah. antidote to fear. But it's only if you feel the truth. Mm-hmm. That it's the antidote yeah. to fear.
2: Yeah.
0: You've got to feel the truth. And a lot of times we're already feeling the fear about all the subjects and so we don't feel the truth on them. So we're going to have to feel the fear, actually process the fear on those subjects. Yeah. Go through them. Yeah. Look at all your false beliefs about fear.
2: Mm-hmm. Feel them. Mm-hmm.
0: Then you'll get somewhere with your fear. Yeah, But I, I, I don't enjoy the premise of the discussion because it basically is saying that it's possible to actually fake a position of truth without going through fear. And you can't. You can't do it. You can't do that. You can fake it, but you won't go through it. Nothing will change in your life. Mm -hmm. You'll attract the same things. Nothing will really change. Mm -hmm. Unless you've got some spirit assistance for it to change, nothing will change. And I say, you know, the true change is you changing your soul. Then you don't need any help to change your life. Your soul changes your entire life. Your attractions change, everything changes. That's real, that's real progress. Mm-hmm. Having someone help you doesn't, doesn't change that.
1: Our next question is from Liv, mm-hmm. and she asks I'm trying to get a grip on the concept of fear and love.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How to let go of fear? Mm-hmm. I had no fear of my own death before I became a mother. Mm-hmm. I'm now terrified of separating from him. He's nine years old. I have nightmares about him having to face this world without me and I'm terrified of having to continue life on earth without him. I'm torturing myself with stories about missing children and tragic death to try to deal with this fear, I guess. I'm sure lots of parents have these thoughts and have no idea how to deal with, deal with the fear of losing the one you love the most. How do we deal with these feelings?
2: Uh,
0: My dear sister, um, there is self-delusion upon self-delusion in your question and it's quite sad actually in the sense that there are so many things you're telling yourself here that are completely false and I need to go through them with you. Mm -hmm. So let's go through each statement one by one, shall we? Because I, I just feel like... A lot, a lot of our questions, there is just self-deception upon self-deception and then there's a question at the end. Yeah. And we need to deconstruct the self-deceptions before we even arrive at the question, at the answering the real question. And this is something that we need to do with live here. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So would you like me to go back so through my, the question? Yeah, one statement by one, one statement. Sentence
0: by sentence by one right, statement. Yeah. Let's go through
1: it. Okay, first. I'm trying to get a grip on the concept of fear and love.
0: Stop there. You can't get a grip on the concept of fear and love while you're in fear. <laughs> you need to feel your fear in order to get a concept of love. Mm-hmm. And also you need to feel your fear in order to understand fear. So, so there's no such thing as getting an intellectual concept on an emotion. You need to feel the emotions, then you'll understand them. So firstly, your desire to get a grip or an intellectual concept of emotion is already flawed before we begin. You need to allow yourself to experience the emotions, then you'll get a grip on the concept of them afterwards. The the thoughts of the truth about these emotions will come to you, Mm -hmm. right? So you're trying to put the cart before the horse here. What you're trying to do is come up with an intellectual concept about love and an intellectual concept of fear without feeling love or fear. And the reality is while you do such things, you're not going to progress, and you'll also not understand fear or love. Mm-hmm. And you don't understand fear or love, which is very evident in the rest of your questions. We need to talk to you about that.
1: Okay. The next question is how to let go of fear. Yes,
0: yeah, so that's the question. How do I let go of fear? I've said over and over how to let go of fear. You feel it. You experience yeah. it. You allow yourself to experience it. Now, we won't talk about you know all the different things about that because we've talked about that in other questions. Yeah. But that's the way you do it. You're not going to be able to come up with some kind of intellectual magic pill or any other thing that will help you go through the process. You're going to have to develop your will enough to actually go through the experience of your fear. So that's the important thing.
1: I had no fear of my own death before I became a mother.
0: Completely untrue. Completely untrue. Mm -hmm. You had an extreme fear of death before you became a mother. And you have no idea how much fear you're actually in with regard to the fear of death. And to be frank with you, the majority of people on this planet have no idea either mm-hmm. of how afraid they are of death. And as soon as they have a child, it comes out. As soon as they have a child, it gets triggered, bang. That's where you can see your fear of death. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and most of our fears of death are about a fear of losing a person, not losing our own life. So in other words... Many of us have fears, more fears, in fact, about losing another person rather than our our own death. Mm -hmm. But that is a fear of death still. Yes. (laughs) And we need to see it as such.
1: I'm now terrified of separating from her nine-year-old son.
0: Correct. She is terrified of separation and she sees death as separation. Mm -hmm. And it's not true. From God's perspective, death does not separate you from your loved ones. Every single night when you go to sleep you actually will ex- continue to experience your loved ones. So the whole concept that death creates separation is completely false, and this is one reason why you're terrified, because you believe false things. Yeah. Right? You, she believes false things about death, about separation, that it's possible to be separated from someone you love. It's not possible. But I suggest to you, Liv, that you don't love your son, which we'll go through in a second.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I have nightmares about him having to face this world without me mm. and I'm terrified of having to continue life on earth without him.
0: Yes. Now, let's look at this. You are severely addicted to your son. It's very dangerous what you've done to your son, actually, to him emotionally. Whose child is he? He is not yours. He is God's child. He is God's child, not yours. You, are, you have only created his physical and spiritual bodies through the process of sexual intercourse. That's all. The soul of your child is not your child. It's God's child. So, so God created that soul. You did not create it. You don't own it. It's not, it doesn't belong to you. And God's got a far better way of caring for her her children than you do. In fact, the way you're caring for your son here is very, very much a, a damaging relationship. And I, and I suggest to you that you need to read through some books that might help you deal with this very damaged relationship with your son. It's driven by your terror and particularly your terror of separation and what you believe you love. And, and what's the book, uh, Mary, that book, the books relating to... Uh, emotional incest. Emotional incest. This is, these are books you need to read regarding your relationship with your son.
1: Yeah, there's one by Dr Patricia Love.
0: So Dr Patricia Love?
1: And it's called Emotional Incest and there's a tagline that I can't remember now. Yeah, but,
0: yeah. yeah. And, and you have an emotionally incestuous relationship with your son and your son, you are using your son to avoid all of your own terrors and fears and you've set up heavy addictions with your son and these are damaging your son very badly and you need to stop mm-hmm. this from occurring. Your, your son is going to be very distressed in his later life with this projection of emotions that are coming from you.
1: And really, if we have a pure approach to parenting, mm-hmm. we are happy for our child to continue on and face the world, as Liz, Liv puts it, Alone. on their own. In fact, we, we want them to want to instil the confidence in them to do that, yes. and not to be dependent upon us, and not to Correct. fear separating from us, and not to um, live in codependence with us as a parent.
0: Correct. Yeah. We need to understand that whenever we set up these codependent relationships with our children, we are damaging our children very badly. Yeah. And on top of that, we are just feeding our own addictions to avoid specific pains within ourselves. So Liv, my dear sister, you are avoiding very, very large pains within yourself about separation. And you need to allow yourself to experience them. And it's separation from a male that, you've now, that, that, that you're now experiencing and you, or, you're or, resisting. or resisting the yeah. experience of. And you've now set up an emotionally incestuous relationship with your son in order to avoid the experience of these particular emotions. And this is damaging to yourself and your son. And, and, and honestly, you need to address this. It's a very serious problem mm-hmm. and you need to address it.
1: And also I feel that Liv is putting a lot of emphasis on death when really she's just afraid of not having... Uh, this
0: well, the next line I think is, needs to be read probably sure. and then we'll discuss sure. the whole thing.
1: I'm torturing myself with stories about missing children and tragic death mm-hmm. to try to deal with this fear, I guess. No,
0: she's not dealing with the fear. She's living in it. Mm-hmm. She's torturing herself with stories about missing children because she doesn't want to go through separation Right, and she keeps yeah. attracting stories about separation. Yeah, and she doesn't want to go through separation. She's living in. She's not. She's not actually feeling her terror about it because the terror's got nothing to do with that. Actually, mm-hmm. it's got nothing to do with separation. It's got other things, that are much more difficult emotions to feel than 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 that. So let's yeah. read the next statement because that's really yeah. a fair part of the discussion.
1: Uh, I'm sure a lot of parents have these thoughts. And have no idea how to deal with the fear of losing the one you love the most.
0: Well, you know, this is where we have a lot of trouble and a lot of false beliefs. Now, firstly, yes, a lot of parents do have these problems. In fact, many men have this problem with their daughters, and many women have this problem with their sons. They have used their sons and daughters as surrogate relationships. In order to prevent the pain from other types of relationships, usually with their opposite gender parent, and then with their with their with partner, their partner. Mm-hmm. right? So they're using these relationships to avoid a lot of pain in those two t- sorts of relationships. But but there's a second half to it, and I can't quite remember what uh, she said. Um, uh, oh, parents have. She's worried about losing the person she loves, loves the, most. the most. This is a big big problem with your current definition of love. Mm-hmm. You love. You say you love your child the most in the world. Honestly, you don't. You are dumping huge amounts of very negative emotions on your child that are incestuous in nature and you're harming your child quite a lot and you don't see it. So you're not loving your son at all at this moment. You believe you are but you are not. Secondly, there is a problem with loving your children the most mm-hmm. and most people on this planet have no idea what the problem is. God designed you first to love the other half of yourself and yourself. So in other words, God designed you to love your soulmate first, not your child first. And in fact, in the future, your child will meet his soulmate and whoever that is, male or female, he will love him or her the most.
1: That's the way God designed it. That's the way God designed
0: it. When you say you love your child the most, you are in complete denial. And this is the main reason why you set up this Uh, emotionally incestuous situation with your son, you are in complete denial of the opposite gender, in your case, your opposite gender soulmate attraction, Mm -hmm. which is your soulmate, a male, obviously, because otherwise you would have set up this uh, addiction with a female child. Mm -hmm. The reality is your attraction is to the real attraction that needs to be developed is towards the other half of yourself who is a male. And what you need to do is start working your way through why you avoid relationships with adult males and why you have instead engaged most of your uh, emotional issues with a child who is a male. And that is the main reason why you have taken this approach with your son. You You are in the process of psychologically damaging your son for any future relationship. And, and this is going to cause him a lot of trouble in his future, and particularly coming up to his teenage years, because I think she said he was nine years of age. Yes. Now, within a few years, he's going to start entering puberty, if he hasn't already, and, and as a result, he will, he will start going through emotions that he will find very confusing in his relationship with you because of this emotionally incestuous relationship that you've begun with him and established over many years now. You need to work through these terrors and fears that you have, and you are using this emotionally incestuous relationship with your son in order to avoid them, and and it's very very damaging to yourself and him. Yeah.
1: And uh, the final part was how do how do we deal with these feelings? And you've you've pretty much uh, stated what she's been
0: focusing on is the fear. Yeah. And that's not her problem. No. Her problem is her addictions. Her, she's
1: actually in a state of addiction, with her, state of addiction yep. with her son. She's in a state
0: of total addiction with her son. Her son is meeting all of her addictions yep. and, and, and it doesn't make the fear go away because the only way to make the fear go away is to actually feel it. Yep. So what she's doing is because she's got such intense fear associated with death and associated with separation and particular associated with separation from a male, yep. she's now projecting all of those intense emotions onto her son. He's now having to fulfil a role and in the process of fulfilling this role, it's becoming destructive to his psychological and emotional development. This is very, very damaging for her to, yeah. to continue to engage, but she's justified the engagement saying she loves her son. Yes. And this is a total, like, it's totally incorrect. You are not loving your son, is it, Liv? Yes, Not Liv. loving your son, Liv, while you do these things to your son. You are actually causing him a huge amount of emotional burden which, which is not love, but rather just living in your own codependent addictions with him. Codependent addictions are not love, and you need to learn that because you haven't learned that in your relationship with your son. You do not love him. You are in codependent addiction with him. And later, he's going to, come to t- have to come to terms with that. And I feel very sad for him having to come to terms with those emotions, given that you're projecting them so intensely at him, because he's going to have some very strong feelings to have to go through as a result. My suggestion is own your fear about separation from a male. Own your feelings about having an adult relationship. You do not want to have an adult relationship with a male. You do not want to open your heart to a male. You do not want to have an adult relationship with an open-hearted man and you do not want to be open-hearted to the man. Mm. And these are the emotions you are avoiding that are causing all of these problems. Now, sure, you have some fears about them, but you need to feel them because otherwise this addiction with your son will continue. Now, there's obviously a lot more I could say in answer to the question, but my suggestion to you, Liv, is to read the book that we just suggested to you, the Emotional Incest book. And it will help you, perhaps, if you're open to reading it. And what we've found is that most people who are involved in emotional incest with their children have no desire to read that book at all, and in fact feel quite offended that, that, that we've suggested to them to read the book. And my suggestion to you is you need to read it for your own sake and also for the sake of your son. You need to work your way through why you've projected so much emotion at him and so many of your fears at him, and why you're in this deep level of fear is a lot to do with your relationship with men rather than death mm-hmm. and, and more to do with the feeling of what, how you're going to survive, how you're going to live without your son, right? So as soon as your son ever approaches another woman in order to have a relationship or a man, depending on what his you know, soulmate attraction is, um, you are going to be instantly enraged you want him to have the relationship with you and that is what is damaging you are avoiding a relationship with a, ma- a grown male and you are using your son's relationship your relationship with your son to avoid this and that's where your fears are that's the fears you need to feel mm-hmm. you need to focus on those fears and you're actually terrified of separation for for um because because your son meets all of your addictions. That's why you're terrified of separation. Once you start dealing with some of these addictions that you have with him, you won't be terrified of separation. In fact, you'll get to the point where you enjoy the separation from your son because he's going out to live his own life. He, engaged, he finishes up meeting his own soulmate, engaging his own life, and all you will feel for him is joy that he's doing such a thing, living his life like he should be doing you are attempting to live your life through him and that is a very very damaging thing to do to a child Mm -hmm. so these are my suggestions to you and i know i've been firm about it i'm not judging you Liv, for for the choices that you've made because i understand the fears that generate these kind of behavior but you need to understand the seriousness of the situation and the damage that you're doing to your own soul and to your son's soul in 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 taking these actions with your son so the question, the question you originally asked me was, how do you deal with your fear of death? It's not the fear of death that you've got a problem with, right, really. It's, it's your fear of having none of your addictions met from a man. Mm-hmm. And when your son leaves you, which he will do sooner or later, whether he dies or not, you will need to go through all those fears anyway. So my suggestion is start doing it now. You, you've got a very unhealthy relationship with your son and you need to work your way through the emotional reasons why that is the case.
2: I think that's answered that question.